Hello and welcome to the Big 12 Country Podcast, where four guys in jockstrap will be covering college football and providing content and HSOs from around the Big 12. Welcome back to the Big 12 Country Podcast. I'm your host, as always, Corey, and joining me tonight at the table is Colin. Hello. And that's it. We're a little shorthanded tonight. Uh, Kendall and uh, Jockstrap are off doing whatever it is they do on Sundays. So uh, we apologize. The show got moved back this week. Uh, a couple reasons. Mainly, my computer took a crap on us. Um, I think some of you, I don't know if some of you saw the pictures I posted on our Twitter account, but it just, the screen went to crap, and we tried everything. Um, I hopefully have that remedied. We're doing it on a different computer tonight and some different stuff. So hopefully if the show sounds a little odd, I apologize for that, guys. Uh, Stick it out with us. We will get that remedied by the next week. Uh, Anyway, this is the Kansas State show. Uh, I know we will have some new listeners because we had some new followers that are following us because of the show tonight. So thank you for listening and joining uh, joining us and listening to us. And uh, we hope you will tell some of your friends, especially if you're from Kansas State, to listen to this and other teams as well. Uh, you now have a choice for Big 12 Podcast, and we know that, and that wasn't necessarily the case when we started this show, so as always, we'd like to say thank you. Uh, and if you do listen to us, please go to iTunes or whatever format, a bajillion of them that we're on. Uh, there's not many that we're not on, so if you're out there on them, listen, you know, rate us however that, that format goes. I don't really dabble in a lot of that. I know iTunes is the star system, so however they ask you to rate shows, please go out and do that for us. Uh, anyway, so this week, uh, obviously we had Big 12 Media Days, which was great, uh, like crack for somebody like me who's dying for information for the show because I, you know, I build our show obviously every week. <clears throat> Colin just kind of shows up and, and, and goes along with whatever I come up with. Uh, and, and, you know, he, he brings to his own format or whatever he wants to do, his own information. But usually I try to lay out the show and give the guys somewhat of an outline. So this was great for somebody like me because I, you know, I don't know about you, Colin, but I've been dying for anything new. Yeah, it's a summer dry spell. Yeah, and, uh, you know, June is awful. Uh, you know, you get a comment like Lincoln Riley gave and the whole media goes berserk, you know, the, the Georgia thing. So... You know, it was good for us. Uh, you know, a lot of people call it the talking season. Some people can't stand it. I think by the end of it every year, I'm ready to be done with it. <laughs> you know, by the time we get to that, and this, it used to be three days when we had 12 teams. Uh, so for you, you uh, TCU and West Virginia fans who are, are new to this, you're lucky if you don't like it because it used to be three days before we dropped to 10 teams. But by the end of the second day, and then in the SEC, I think they've stretched it out to like five days now which is just insane. I mean, absolutely <laughs> absurd. I know it's at least four because uh, ESPNU uh, and ESPN did their own little, you know, the, you know, the show College Football Live. It made it, it makes a return this time every year when SEC does their media days and follows them along. And I know there was at least four days of it. So it can get a little long and grueling. And, uh, you know, we definitely uh, do get burnt out by the end. But at the same time, it gives us some answers to some questions we want. Uh, you kind of dig through all that coach speak because it does get a little old. And usually you can find a couple little nuggets to take back to the fan base. So uh, real quickly, a few things I want to talk about before we get into Kansas State. And this is usually the part of the show where uh, we get into news and nuggets. And, you know, I, <clears throat> I'm trying to think of how to say this the best. I won't say it was a boring media days. Uh, I don't know about you, Colin, how much you got to see of it. I know you worked during it. Obviously I did too, but I went back and watched a lot of it. Um it wasn't, in terms of getting a lot of information, there wasn't a lot of it out there. 
I I felt like we you know there wasn't and in there and not to say that we do every year, but I felt like in years past I don't know about you just roughly it feels like we got some answers to some more questions and things like that. Definitely felt like there was a lot more coach speaking. Nobody really t- and then again we had the weird things with Tom Herman. Uh, that was a little odd, but that situation, uh, you know, we got, uh, I thought, some pluses from Lincoln Riley where he dove into uh, talking about, you know, the OU defense just hadn't been up to par. Uh, plain and simple, the talent on that side of the ball hadn't been up to par. I don't know about you, Colin, but I feel like that's not something we would have got from Bob Stoops in recent years, not to that degree. No, I, I totally agree with that. I mean, that was kind of unexpected to come from an Oklahoma coach. So, yeah. Definitely. But, I mean, he he's right. I, I was looking at Phil Steele's magazine right here, and, Positional unit rankings, he has Oklahoma 6th in the conference on uh, DL. Linebacker, 6th in the conference. DB, 4th in the conference. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, that that's not something you expect from the, the premier one of the premier programs in the conference. Mm-hmm. And, again, that gets back to the point we talked about last show. Or it wasn't last show. I apologize. It was the YouTube show we did earlier this week with me and Skyler. Uh, you know, they have been doing – Oklahoma's been winning this league the last three years and, and even before that a little bit uh, with classes that aren't what they're used to. You know, 20 uh, on average. There for a few years they were averaging about 20-ish. In the country, uh, recruiting class-wise, they got up into the top 15s around 2015, 2016, started to turn the corner a little bit. Last couple have been in the top 10. Uh, and now they're, you know, this year they're sitting in the top three right now, I believe. Again, I don't have that government. I don't have my computer in front of me. That was part of what we do every show. We promised you guys the rankings. I'll have to see if I can get that pulled up before we get done. But the uh, recruiting rankings, I think they're roughly top three or four on both of them. So uh, they've been doing that with a lot less talent than what they're used to. So um, all I can say is that's got to be scary for the – I mean, Colin, as you being an OSU fan, is that a little uh, – I don't want to say scary. Obviously, scary makes you sound like a wuss. But is that a little um, – you know, does it make you wonder a little bit? Oh, my God, they're getting better, and they've already been whipping everybody's tail. <laughs> I, I I refuse to answer this question. So, you, But, no, I mean, Oklahoma and Texas, they, they kind of are what they are. I mean, Texas has had elite defensive talent. And I say elite, you know – for the Big Twelve standards, right. <laughs> they've had it, and I mean, yeah, as good as the offenses are in the Big Twelve, I I feel like as long as OU's offense stays kind of where they are, then it is what it is. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and you know, I, I think it's more for the out of conference games yes. where this is important. Clearly, and that's where you know that's where they haven't been up to snuff in a lot of cases. Uh, you know, go back to the, the Clemson game uh, and then and the playoff. They were clearly outmanned offensive line and defensive line. Now, that offensive line was young and turned out to be the really good one we saw last year. That was pretty much, you know, those guys started that year as freshmen and sophomores. Um, but, you know, defensive line has clearly been, you know, just not – again, me and Kendall talk about it, I think, on the first show of the year when we came back this year. These are the kind of guys that were the depth and backup guys for the really good defensive lines back in the Big 12 right. days. You know, so – um, that's you know that's where they've got to get better, and I, I think well, it's a it's not just Oklahoma, it's a yeah, conference it's everybody league wide, yes, definitely league wide. It's defensive linemen. That's yes, that's what the Big Twelve the, is missing. Um, we do get some pretty good secondary players here and there in the conference. I think linebacker, although that position's changed to some degree as to what you expect from them, um, you do need some more guys that cover ground better uh, and can go defend that tight end better or that that um, uh, slot guy on on a whim all of a sudden if the if they're on audible and things like that, but. You know, you're not looking for the Brian Bosworth that just stand in a hole and take somebody's head off all the time. All oh, that's great. You want that, especially from your middle linebacker. It's not necessarily traditionally what you're going to need now. So, um, yes, defensive line is where we've taken that hit. And part of it is obviously regionally. Um, I don't know about you, but 
for me, I see a lot of in that the SEC part of the country from high school, they just seem to grow those guys on trees down there. Uh, defensive linemen, defensive ends, elite dudes in Georgia, Alabama, Mississippi, Louisiana, Florida, um, Carolinas, those areas, they just grow those guys like it's nothing. And then they all stay home and go to SEC-type schools. So whereas it seemed like, you know, maybe 2001, 2000, that area, and then a little bit after that, a lot of those guys were coming out of Texas. And we were able to get those guys in this part of the country. So, you know, it, it, it's cyclical, though. You would think to some degree it might come back this way. And you know, that, that's interesting because I saw a some numbers the other day, and I can't remember where I saw it, but it had the, the rosters from, I want to say, the last two or three years in playoffs. And just what percentage of players on those teams actually came from which states. And Georgia, by far, had the highest percentage of players on playoff rosters. Mm-hmm. Second was Texas. But when I'm looking at that, and it was they were like, maybe 12 or 13% below Georgia. When I look at that, I'm seeing Texas. I'm thinking skill position players are coming mm-hmm. from Texas. I'm not Definitely. thinking line, you know, offensive line, defensive line. When you see Georgia, you're thinking line, you're thinking linebackers. linebackers. Yeah, mm-hmm. you're not thinking skill players. Nope. And definitely, and, I, and there is some truth to that. Um, you know, where, and also Louisiana's produced some really good wide receivers And they lately, were up there, too. Uh, and things like that, too. But, uh, I, and honestly, when you start talking about size of the state and population, Louisiana may be second to nobody in terms of talent that comes out of that freaking state. Uh, I mean, they single-handedly supplied LSU with some ridiculous talent the last 20 years. But, you know, again, and, and part of it, too, I think is the nature of what you're doing. Because of the nature of the offenses and stuff that happens, especially in, in, in the Big 12, and then you see that feeder system down to the high schools, especially in the state of Texas, which the state of Texas supplies so much of the Big 12, um, you see more 7-on-7 seven seven and things, I think, like I feel like over in this part of the country. And it's just kind of become part of that, um, you know, part of their their what they're used to. They grow up into those systems, and it's a less physical game they play, and on and on and on. So I do think – you know, it's obviously not on the high school coaches. I don't think that they should feel they're going to do what they need to do to win. But I do feel like there needs to be some kind of feeder system or a focus on that where we start trying to uh, build some of these kids locally and get them, you know, to come to schools here and stay here and stay home. Because it, 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 here's the problem, too. You're fighting the stigma of that, that um, you know, the uh, hype train with the SEC the last 10 or 15 years. And they only play defense and yada, yada, yada. And that's how you get to the NFL and all that and all that. So, you know, I do feel like the Big 12 is fighting that and does need to find a way to get over that. They've got to find a way to start bringing kids into these, into the, into their teams, into the program and say, look, you can come here and play defense and still get to the NFL if you're that good. And, again, like I said on uh, Mark Rogers' show earlier this week, I still to this day do not understand the secondary thing. I don't get why secondary players do not want to come to this league. And you're starting to get it again. OU uh, right now is looking at signing a ridiculous set of corners for them. Uh, all four-star star kids across the board, all top 250, rivals top 250 players. So they're looking at doing that. The class last year that Texas signed in the secondary was ridiculous, especially at safety. Uh, so you are starting to see some of that, but league-wide, again, we've got to do this outside of Oklahoma and Texas, guys, or it doesn't help the league at all. It's great for them, and it's great for them when they get on the national stage, but we need everybody to start doing this. So, uh, again, getting back to Lincoln Riley, I think what he said was right. It wasn't just about him, in my opinion. It could be You can apply that to everybody, but it was good for him to say that. I felt like it's not something we'd have got from Bob Stoops. Um, as far as Gary Patterson goes, you know, Gary, man, he gives such long-winded answers. And, again, if I had my other laptop, I had all these clips uh, segmented and ready to play. And I apologize, guys. You're not going to get that this time. Uh, we'll have it when we do day two, media days preview. 
a review. But, um, you know, Gary Patterson had a lot of good answers to stuff. Um, you know, honestly, the most interesting thing I thought he said was talking about, you know, I thought it was big of him to go ahead and throw out, you know, back up Lincoln Riley and his comments on, you know, the top five defenses thing in Georgia. And, and, you know, he's like, just logically, look, you're not going to be, you know, a top five defense with these numbers on and on and on. So I thought that was cool of him. Uh, You know, I'm sure Oklahoma fans thought it was neat that uh, he talked about the two best offenses he's ever played was the Baker offense and the Sam Bradford offense. That was probably something for them. Overall, though, I didn't feel like we got a whole lot of ton from him. Oh, he did go into a spiel about, uh, and again, that was the clip I was going to play, um, how they recruit and what they're looking for, which I thought was great. It was about two minutes long, and I wish I had it all from memory. I can't remember it all, but just what they're looking for uh, and, you know, how they go. And, you know, it kind of took a mini shot at the media. I won't really say he took a shot at them, but, you know, they asked the question about getting five-star, four-stars, and he said, look, if I'm going after a kid, obviously I think he's pretty good. Whether you guys have him rated a five-star, four-star or not. Well, I think he said, those are your stars, not my stars. Yeah, something along those lines, yeah. So, again, it's a mini shot at the media, but he, you know, said that. And, you know, I think he truly believes when he gets these kids. But I think he also, part of him, realizes he's not stupid or blind. You know, this kid that Texas or Oklahoma signed is not as good as the kid that we had to take. I mean, he obviously has to see that to some degree. So, uh, you know, he's not a fool. Um, so to some degree, you know, that was interesting hearing him talk about that and, and what his, and he really got, and I encourage people to go listen to it. I think it's towards the end of his interview. Uh, he talked about, you know, their culture there and, and the focus on graduating and on and on and on how they talk to the kids. You know, they're, even if you go to the NFL, they're, you know, we need to focus on life after that. And I know a lot of coaches do that, but it's just good to hear him talk about that and, and, you know, kind of reestablish that as part of their system. Um, in terms of Cliff, Cliff Kingsbury, um, you know, I, I thought it was good of him. He said something that, in my opinion, I took away. I took away a comment from him, and I know this may sound some silly to some people. It, it's just maybe the geek of me. I thought, and it's not something I put a whole lot of thought into, and maybe I hadn't reached this conclusion, but I was getting there in my own personal thoughts over the last six months. He summed it up for me when he talked about, and I took. I agreed with this more than maybe anything I heard all week. Um Somebody had asked him the question about, you know, how do we start defending, you know, or what do you start doing? Are more defenses going to start doing some of the dime packages and things that you saw Iowa State have success with? You know, that cloud coverage they kind of made so popular there. Uh, and Tech even got away with that. And he started talking about how on offenses you're going to start seeing that counter. And he thinks you're going to start seeing – you know, things that might start pulling us back away from this wide-open offense. He didn't put it in those words, but I'm expounding on what he said. You know, the wide-open offense is the Big 12 in space and everything and using these little receivers all over the place, right? He started talking about how you're going to start seeing some more physical packages using the fullbacks and the tight ends and getting back to what we used to know this offensive system to be. Now, I don't think we'll ever fully get back that way. It's not going back to ground a pound. No, we're not getting to that point. But I do think, I, first of all, I would love to see everybody start using tight ends more again. Uh, Oklahoma has made, and again, I, and I hate to focus on them, but that's they've done it better than anybody. Uh, with the tight end in the last few years especially, they've really kind of exposed that. Who else in the league really uses one a lot like they do? I mean, I can't – that you really yeah, trademark even, with the team. But even then, it's more of a split-out tight end. It's not – I mean, yeah, do they occasionally I mean, in, in the passing game. Yeah. That's what I'm mainly getting at. Yes, obviously he's not a traditional tight end with his hand in the ground and most people over. But in the passing game, 
I mean, who do you identify in the league with more than what they've done with Andrews and some of those guys? So, I mean, even all the way going back to Gresham and, you know, OSU a little bit with Pettigrew and some of those things. But, um, you know, OU's really done that well. And then the H-back OU's done better than anybody uh, in terms of – and, you know, again, OSU's done that with the Cowboy back and stuff too. So, um, I think that's what he meant and what he was getting at. You're going to start seeing more of those packages from everybody across the board to counter some of this because – if you've got that many defensive backs on the field, obviously you got to do something. Well, you, it's kind of like we see basketball. I hate to use basketball. Obviously, everybody knows I'm not a huge basketball fan. But you see people talk about, um, you know, how do we match up with, oh, this is their little lineup. This is their big lineup, yada, yada, yada. Same thing on the football field. You're going to start seeing some of that. you got all these little DBs out there. I think you are going to start seeing some bigger physical, more packages that are giving them more versatility to do things. If they want to put their hand in the ground and run you over, they can. They can find a mismatch, mismatch with a tight end on a DB and on and on and on. So, I don't know. Uh, maybe that's just the geek of me. I thought that was interesting that he was able to come out and say that because I do think that's kind of where the league's going a little bit. But, again, I don't think we'll ever completely go back the other way. Um, I think a lot of these offenses are brought about because they were getting less talent, and it does kind of equalize things for them. So I do think that's where they'll stay. Um, getting on to uh, – let's see, who else wanted I want to – oh, Iowa State, man. Matt Campbell, dude. <laughs> You talk about a guy that just oozes testosterone and badassery and, I mean, just confidence, everything he's got. I, I just, I mean, I, I can't imagine what this guy's like in a recruiting room and a living room. I bet he sells kids like that. You know, doesn't even have to think about it. I mean, the guy just, I don't know, he's just so convincing with everything he says. I don't know what it is about him. He just, you believe it, you're drawn in, you listen to everything he says, you go with it. Yes, yes, you know, you're agreeing with it. Even as me, who's not an Iowa State fan, you know, I love the guy. Um, you know, he said some really good things. I thought the most interesting thing, you know, again, just sidebar, I thought was interesting. He talked about his history of going after um, Montgomery. Uh, that whole story, how when he was at, uh, oh, Lord, what was Toledo. It? Toledo. They were there. They had, he had two senior running back commits, he said. And uh, they went to go to a camp. Uh, he never said how, but word of mouth, I guess, coaches, the high school coaches in Ohio, I don't know how, had heard of him. So he went and watched him. Said he's had probably to this day the most impressive camp he's ever seen from a running back and not hardly anybody was on him. Well, there he had the two commits. He said, he told Montgomery, he said, I told him, I'm coming back for you. And not, and not today, but I'll come back to get you with a commitment, you know, da 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 da. Well, little did he know it was going to be wearing an Iowa State hat. Uh, he came back, got David. You know, David didn't have a ton of other offers. Um, some of them, you know, other Big 12 schools, but nothing major. So he took it, and, you know, the rest is history. And, man, that dude can play. Um, you know, so just that – I thought that was fascinating. Um, also got into – and, again, this was on the notes I had on my other computer that I can't read. I wish I had it word for word because I had it all typed out. But um, – Basically, how last season has affected this season in recruiting and on the road. You know, and he said, you know, he got into the point of, well, you know, you have a vision. Every coach, and, and I'm sure, Colin, you can agree with this, every coach when they take over has a vision, right? And they, that's their goal is to sell the vision. We're seeing this with Tom Herman right now, right? Uh, even Lincoln Riley to some extent, even though he's coming out of Bob Stoops' system, he's still trying to sell his vision for the program, right? Um, Herman's doing that. You know, my culture, my vision, what we're going to do. Well, he talked about that, how every coach does that and has to sell that. Well, when you have a year like last year, it allows you to kind of say, look, guys, see, I told you, you know, this is where we're going. This is the direction we're going. And it allows them to be able to go get those recruits and things. He says it allows me to be able to sell truth to them instead of just hope, uh, you know, and stuff like that. So, you know, I, I, I thought that was really cool of him talking about that, how that's impacted them on the recruiting trail and whatnot. So, 
Um, well, and it definitely opens a lot of new doors. Yes, exactly. And it, and it gets them in with players that they probably, you know, I'm sure there's probably going to be some players that they at least get a, uh, a talk to or something that maybe not, you know, otherwise haven't. Uh, he's a hot name. Again, they've locked him down, in my opinion, until 2021 or so probably, maybe 2022, barring, you know, let's say Urban Meyer up and retires. I could totally see Ohio State coming after him and coming after him hard, and they've got the pocketbook to pay off the – uh, eight million. Yeah, whatever it is, and it doesn't lower till twenty twenty one. I don't believe if it does, it's only like by a million dollars. So they they're going to do that. Um, I was trying to think if there's anybody that coach. Nothing else really in the coaches. Um, yeah, Kansas. Oh, David Beatty. We pushed them. Uh, for, I should have said this being show because Kansas State is on this show, and we are getting ready to talk to the guys from KSO. We pushed Kansas to the second day. I know they were first day media days for anybody out there that wants to give us crap. We push them to the to the other side. We will talk to the you know we will talk about what David Beatty had to say on day two when we review that later next week. Um, oh, rules real quickly uh, before we get to the interview with the guys from KSO. Um, a few rule changes. If some of you are bored with it and didn't and paying attention, you might have missed these rules that came out. First and foremost, Colin, I have to ask you because. We all know, and anybody who follows the show, that my memory is probably the worst of anybody on this podcast, <laughs> uh, which is not good as the host because there's a lot of things that I need to remember and I flat out forget, which is why I had, you know, obviously two and a half pages of notes for this show that I can't use. So the the first thing being the the knees being covered in the crop tops, did we not just have a nationwide crop top rule like two or three years ago? Because I remember the, I the, giant, season. the giant dude from Baylor. The defensive end, I'm forgetting his name. The guy's like 6'7". Sean Oakman. Yeah, the guy looked like he was chiseled out of freaking iron and stone. Um, you know, he always wore one. And, you know, when a guy like that wears it, eh, whatever. It's to protect us from the big jalopies out there on the defensive line and offensive line that want to f- show that belly to everybody. Uh, you know, I just envision Nebraska's of the world and, you know, schools like that with them ugly mesh jerseys and everything. So... You know, I thought we'd already gotten around that. Now, the knee thing to me is different. Obviously, that's um, – uh, they said the rule had gotten a little lax, obviously, so they're making a point of that. And they showed the number one offender. I don't want to say the number one offender. In a lot of these articles, if you go look, one of the pictures shown, and I believe one of the pictures shown at Media Days, the quarterback for Texas, uh, Ellinger, was clearly uh, offended this rule constantly. If you go look at photos of him, his knee pads stop about six inches above his kneecap. Uh, <laughs> and, I mean, it doesn't matter what picture you go find of him. Almost every one of them he did it. There were some other ones, too. Well, but receivers it, are really bad about yes, it, Yes, yes. And, and you would think a quarterback would definitely want to have that protected. And someone having to dive through that, especially like him, a guy who runs a lot. Right. Uh, you know, having to dive through that, some of that physical stuff. He offended the rule quite a bit. Um, you know, and all that stuff. Um, the crop top thing, I'm all for it. I mean, cover up your bellies. I don't think it's asking too much. I understand it's hot in September, but it cools off pretty quickly. And really hanging your belly out, what does that really help in that aspect? I don't get that. Uh, also, the shirt thing. It, I I like the rule because I think it looks terrible. And not from the I'm an old man, get off my lawn standpoint of, you know, da 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 But I just think it looks like crap. When you got these guys in Oklahoma has several guys I can think of off the bat. Uh, Texas has several guys I've seen it. Um, Kansas State, I can envision some guys I've seen it. Where they wear these shirts that are completely different color, don't go with the uniform. You know, like, um, I can't remember who it was. There was somebody last year I remember seeing, I want to say it was for Baylor, had a gray T-shirt with their all green uniforms. It didn't look right at all. And it was hanging down like, you know, past his butt pretty much. All the way around, and then it got pulled on a stretch, so it looked even worse. His sleeves were hanging out longer than the jersey. 
I mean, it was just tacky looking to me. Uh, and, and, and again, this every school has somebody that offends this role. But anyway, from now on, shirt has to match the uniform color, whatever that is. Not necessarily the team color. Whatever color jersey they're wearing that day, it has to match. And it has to be tucked in and covered, which I thought is, you know, that's getting a little ridiculous there. But I'm glad they did it in the aspect of I think it looks crappy. So they did that. Uh, your thoughts on any of that uniform, equipment, anything? Um, I think you covered it pretty good, actually. You all for it, against it? Yeah, I'm for it. I mean, clean it up, make it look more, you know, professional. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's where we're getting to. These guys are going kind of auditioning for professional. Mm-hmm. This is anyways. Well, that that's the BS rules. So we're going to get into some of the little more serious ones real quick. Play clock uh, in terms of, you know, they did things to try to speed up the game. Uh, 40 second play clock on the point after attempt starts immediately following a touchdown and it applies after any free kick. Uh, it says in the past, a referee has scanned the field to make sure everything was set before starting the clock at 25 seconds. Uh, and it goes on to say, according to Burks, this new rule is to keep things consistent with the clock rules on any regular play from scrimmage. Um, I'm interested to see how some of the stuff does, you know, with the, the guy standing over the ball and all that. They talk about some of that. We won't get into that too much. But, um, well, there seemed like there was another clock rule. What was it? The one? Oh, oh, oh. Uh, you don't have to take the extra point now at the end of a game, which I think is spectacular. If you win the game on a touchdown, even if you're up by one point or whatever, you know, people would cheer. Uh, I think of, like, the national title with Clemson in them a few years ago. You win the game on that score, and everybody's running off the field and hugging their mamas and kissing babies and kissing girlfriends and proposing on one knee and on and on and on. And then, er, let's stop it. Everybody go back and reset. Call people back out so we can kick a stupid-ass extra point that doesn't matter anyway. So I think that was great that they got rid of that. Uh, That was dumb. Uh, kickoff. Uh, oh, this is the one I think is the most controversial. Um, and I think in terms of safety, it's good, but in all other aspects, I hate it. And uh, I'll give you a chance to talk about it, Colin, too. Uh, basically, if you're a kickoff return team, you now have the option to fair catch. Let me read it to you as it says here. Players may now take a fair catch on a kickoff inside the 25. So in terms of the 25 back to the goal line. Uh, and have the ball placed at the 25 to be in the drive. So in layman's terms, they can wave their arm just like they do on a punt, fair catch it. I've done this on accident in video games before, and I remember the commentators were like, what's he doing? You know, this that's it's going to look weird. Um, you know, you can fair catch that, throw the signal up, catch the ball on like the 10-yard line, and boom, you get the ball on the 25. Again, for player safety, I love it. Everywhere else, I hate it. Um, man, it's going to take away from some exciting plays. I don't know, just your thoughts real quickly. What do you feel about it? Love it, hate it? I, I'm not a fan of this role. I mean, I, I understand why they're doing it. It's it, it's eventually going to end in that we're not going to have any returns. Anything that gives a person a lot of time to build up speed, going to make those tackles, those are going to get taken away. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's where we're trending towards. But as far as you know, impacting the game, it is going to take a lot of explosive plays out. We're not going to have the big return potential. And coming from my side as an Oklahoma State fan, as a as a team that doesn't return the ball often that often, anyways, well now it's taken even more away because I can tell you right now, if Mike Gundy has a chance to get the ball into twenty five and the guy's catching the ball into five, guess what? He's fair catching it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, definitely. And and like you know, uh, one thing I think is interesting, and we'll get into this a little bit with the KSO guys here, and we ask them their opinion on it because they were at at media days. You know, I, I find it interesting to watch the count and mouse of this. Uh, like, you know, I think we talked about off the air a while ago. A team that 
you know, doesn't show kickoff return for several games or, or in certain situations or early in the first half or, you know, yada, yada, yada. All of a sudden, do they put this in their back pocket and say, yes, on all our tape, it shows us taking fair catches. But in the last minute when we need a big turnaround, do they all of a sudden try to go for it? You know, things like that. Um, I try to see, I, I'm curious to see, is there a way to fake it? You know, I know we had the rule, if you'll remember, God, I don't remember the game. It was a Big 12 game and it was something very important and crucial. Uh, hell, it may have been Bedlam. Uh, four or five years ago, there was a situation where a guy kind of did the fair catch but didn't get the hand over the head right. Uh, and so everybody stopped, including him, but they let him tackle him because, you know, live ball or whatever. I'm curious, is there is there a way they're going to let that go, and could you maybe fake people out? And, you know, I'm just curious to see some of that stuff and see how that works. Yeah, they'll have to address that. There's There can't be a way that you could fake yeah, a fair curious. catch. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. I'm yeah. curious to say, could you play on that and see, you know, how that works. Um, I don't know. I mean, and as we see with most rules, uh, there could be a tweak next year with it. Um, now, every the way they do it is every f- even year they address NCAA rules as a whole, and then or no, I'm sorry, all rules as a whole. And then I want to say every odd year they do safety only or something like that. So, uh, you know, we'll see. Uh, Maybe two years before we see any tweaks to this, but we'll see going forward. Uh, and then also there was blocking. Uh, it was really complicated. You know. Uh, basically, I don't know. You just, you need to go read it because I'll screw it up trying to explain it all. But uh, some of the crackback blocking that we've seen in the past is being cracked down on even more. Excuse the pun uh, and stuff like that. Um, you know the 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 blocking below the waist. There, you know, if there's a player within a tackle box and stuff like that, you, you just need to go read it because it, it, it's kind of confusing. And but if you go read it out, it'll it'll be a lot better than me trying to explain it. Um, I, I, that was about all I wanted to get on to in the rules. Anything else you want to get to before we go talk to the boys from KSO real quick? No, let's bring on Kansas State, man. All right. Let's talk to the boys from Kansas State. All right, guys. Now we're going to get into the uh, interview part of the show where we talk to the guys from Kansas State. And uh, these guys are from KSO. Uh, is it .com? Is that what it is? Kansas, or what's the official .com name? Yeah, just www.kstateonline.com, and we kind of by shorthand go by KSO, but okay. just kstateonline.com. I did. I knew your Twitter was KSO, and then I got to thinking, I'm not sure if their website is KSO or not. So you guys are, we'll, we'll stay from KSO. I think that's how most people recognize you, especially on Twitter. Uh, and with us, we got Derek and Matt. You guys say hi. Hey, man, appreciate you having us on. No problem. Derek? Yeah, glad to be here. Uh, real quickly, you guys want to talk, starting with Matt, I'll go ahead and kind of do that for you. Matt, uh, real quickly, what do you do on the site and for the site and all that? Yeah, um, I'm the, the managing editor of the site. So just the, the first year of it, I, I kind of just wrote and, um, and assisted with football and basketball. And then this past summer, I got a chance to take over the, the editor spot of it. And even though Derek does the majority of the work, um, I got to have that title, fortunately. And I'm really, really happy to do it. Derek, what is it that you do for the site? Uh, I mostly cover the recruiting uh, athletes, uh, football and basketball, uh, the senior recruiting analyst. But I dabble and uh, do a lot of the team stuff, especially football as well. Okay, awesome, awesome. It's not very often we get a recruiting guy on here. We might have to pick at him a little bit. Um, anyway, uh, first let me say thank you guys. I appreciate all you guys do for us, a site like us. Um, without a site like yours, we really probably wouldn't exist in a way because, I mean, we get to use – you guys say, hey, your Kansas State fans, you know, feed on this the best you can. And, you know, hopefully – and like I said, like I was telling you guys off the air, you know, we were just trying to get everybody in the Big 12 to kind of come together and, and learn more about what's going on in everybody's world. So thank you for what you do on the recruiting side of it and the website of it. We very much appreciate that. No problem. Oh, I, absolutely, yeah. And like like we said, too, on our end, it's just nice to have a site 
um, like yours that brings it all together um, uh, for sure. So the thanks sure go both, go both ways. All right, no problem, man. Anytime. Um, let's start off. You know, media days. This show has been on media days, and what you know, what kind of went down there. I know. Uh, the general kind of consensus from a lot of people was this was kind of an odd media days. And then also in terms of um, a lot of things didn't really come out. I didn't feel like that we, you know, people didn't know already. Um, you know, you had the whole Tom Herman and man, that seemed really weird thing. And, uh, you know, Lincoln Riley saying things that, you know, I don't think we would have ever had Bob Stoops admit publicly. Uh, you know, some different th stuff like that. Uh, since you guys were down there, and again, our fans know that we've been trying to knock on that door and get there and just haven't been able to yet, but you guys were able to get down there and sprawl all around the complex and, and talk to people. So uh, first, I guess starting with Matt, what was the uh, number one thing you took away from Media Days, if it was a multiple thing? I mean, feel free, run with it, whatever you did there, starting with Matt. Well, sure. I, I think you hit on it, really. Um, I, I think what what uh, Lincoln Riley said about having the most talent that he's been around in his four years. And I think Derek would say something similar really stuck out to both of us. Uh, we both, you know, think, Oh, you will win the league and really like them this year. But, but that, that line really jumped out. Um, because, because we perceive them as having very talented teams. Um, so I thought that was interesting for him to say that. Uh, and then two, just, you know, of course, people who cover K-State, we always get fascinated with things that are done differently than how K-State does it. And when Lincoln Riley was talking about problems on defense, for him, and needing to recruit better. Um, and so I, I thought it was interesting, like you said, there'd be different things than Bob Soups would have said there. It was just how open and honest he was about um, some of their faults, but then also how talented he thinks they can be this season. No, definitely. I, I thought that was refreshing. That was the best thing about Lincoln Riley. And then, you know, the admission to me, I think, the, the circle, the the main part of it, the admission of our our defense hasn't had as much talent on it, you know, as, you know, the elite defenses in the country. It's just not something I felt like Bob would have ever said, at least not in those words. He would, And not necessarily that that was right. a good thing or a bad thing. I just don't think he would have ever went down that road. It would have been, you know, we've gotten good players, we do what we can, yada, yada, yada. So that as much as – I think Lincoln Riley does catch a little bit of, of flack or whatever for sounding like Bob Stoops in a lot of ways because there are some times that you can close your eyes and, man, it does sound just like Bob sitting at a podium. You know, th this what I thought was a lot different. So, definitely. Uh, Derek, you know, what was the uh, one big thing you took away from Media Days? Uh, I guess maybe it was uh, a lapse in judgment by me uh, this off season, but I kind of went into this thinking that TCU was going to have a pretty good ball club. Um Gary Patterson's the head coach. You know, I, I may not have them in the Big 12 championship game, but all, or, you know, in the back of my mind, I knew that they were going to contend, and I wouldn't be surprised if they had made the Big 12 championship game. But kind of learning more about their roster and media days gives me a little bit of hesitation on just how good they might be because it comes to a lot of these teams, and especially I think a team like TCU and Kansas State. I mean, Gary Patterson, you know, came from that Kansas State mindset, and the offensive line is the focal Focal, uh, one of the focal position groups for his program, and they have to replace all five starters from a year ago. Mm -hmm. They've all left, and four of them are going to be in NFL camp. So I think we just assume that TCU is going to be you know, one of the championship contenders in the league, and they still might be, but they have a lot of rebuilding to do positions on the roster. No, definitely. You're not wrong there, and that's something, you know, we of course that was one of the first previews we did. 
Uh, and as we dove into that, yeah, definitely something we found out too. And don't ever be embarrassed about that. As somebody, uh, again, first of all, we're fans, which you guys know, but anybody listening to us for the first time from Kansas State or whatever, you know, we are a site for fans, by fans, purely. We all have day jobs. We all have families. We all have a hundred other things we have going on. This is a hundred percent hobby. You know, we do this just because we love it. And believe me, as you know, anybody can relate to that. It's us. Maybe not realizing something or not knowing something or, you know, being caught off guard. We try to do well. Uh, you know, when we do do well, like last year with Iowa State, we try to tell a lot of people, hey, Iowa State's going to be pretty good. There's a chance they could get a few teams. You know, we like to pat ourselves on the back for that. But there's times where we really screw up, too, and miss badly. So like Tech last year, uh, we all picked Texas Tech to finish last, uh, even below Kansas, I think, over as a group. Now, there was about 12 guys on the staff, and I think overall the vote was Texas Tech finishing last. And we we missed that one pretty badly. So. You know, don't feel bad. It definitely happens. Well, we were drugged through the mud pretty bad on that. Yeah, one, so. uh, Texas Tech fans still haven't <laughs> let us forget that one down. You know, so uh, well, uh, if you could, and you know, I don't want to uh, obviously pry or get something negative or get any shots fired or anything like that. But was there something negative? And if not negative, maybe just more surprising you heard from either one of the coaches or staffs or players or anybody you talked to that I don't know. Maybe it was a little off-putting or maybe shocking, surprising in that way. I guess starting with you, Matt. You know, I'll probably still Derek's answer in this too. So, too bad he has to go second. But it would probably go with the Lincoln Riley quote again. I mean, I'm not trying to, like you said, start anything or that. But you could certainly take it as if you wanted as perhaps some criticism of of how that program has recruited. You know, on the defensive ball, the defensive of the ball, the last four or five years. And I'm sure Coach Riley would, you know, would take the blame for that and be accountable. But. Um, listen to that a little bit and, and think that he was perhaps sharing some criticism towards, you know, peers or predecessors about how they've recruited. Um, so I, I was interested to hear that. Um, but that was probably the most, uh, you know, controversial is too strong of a word. And it's definitely probably what putting words in a guy's mouth that he didn't say, but mm-hmm. that was the one thing that kind of jumped out to me. Yeah, that's definitely fair. That's that's different. Uh, Derek, you got any thoughts on that? Same thing, something different. Yeah, I would probably go along the same and, you know, the more I kind of looked into it, and it's even a little bit more interesting when you consider Bob Stoops' son plays for Oklahoma. So if, you're, if it's kind of a veiled shot at Bob Stoops or even Mike Stoops for how they recruited on the defensive side of the ball in the last three or four years, because you did, uh, Lisa Riley did point out that, you know, some of their best talent is the freshman and sophomore. So mm-hmm. it seems like a little bit of a veiled shot when you consider that Bob Stoops' son is also on the team. Uh, it's something that's even a little bit more interesting. And I, Kingsbury. I guess I expected maybe someone a little bit more charismatic, a little bit more outgoing, but he was definitely more guarded and looked maybe the least interested head coach to be there. <laughs> yeah, and I don't know. I, I'm not going to say you're, you're right or wrong on that. It could have been a shot. I know I know there's uh, there I know personally and you guys I'm sure as well do too there's several years worth of circumstances there that led to where Oklahoma was being down on talent and it definitely is on the defensive side of the ball I mean it's clear and overwhelming so you know I it it could be somewhat as a shot at Bob but it's there's a lot of other coaches that fall into that blame cycle as well uh for lack of recruiting and other things but um Moving over here, let's kind of uh, get into K State a little bit. Oh, first I wanted to talk. To, I wanted to ask you guys this too. Uh, I apologize. The uh, I guess we can start this one with Derek. Who was? Uh, I'm assuming you guys talked to some players there. Who was the most interesting player you talked to? Uh, David Montgomery, the right state, was pretty interesting just because he's got a story to tell, and he, and uh, I mean he 
was not shy about his uh, actually his admiration for Cliff Kingsbury because Cliff Kingsbury was one of the coaches that recruited him. So I thought that was interesting. And obviously Oklahoma offensive lineman Ben Powers because uh, he didn't really <laughs> hold back on his comment toward you know KU or K State in terms of you know how they recruited him or didn't recruit him out of high school and mm-hmm. not a shy character at all. That's yeah, definitely interesting. Uh, how about you, Matt? Um. I was waiting for Derek to say Ben Powers. I was shocked it took him two people to say it because he was great for Derek, I know. Um, and this isn't a creative answer, but it was Dakota Allen. And, and just because um, I hung around him for, I don't know, 15 or 20 minutes uh, and heard him have the same questions asked over and over and over again, which is it's normal of us reporters to do that. But, you know, to hear a young kid have to be asked so many times about the mistakes he's made in the past and, and what he worked on and uh, how he handled those, I just thought was really impressive. Um uh, it almost felt like he was being judged a lot by the kind of questions he was getting, and he never never took, you know, any negative tone or that kind of stuff. And so I was just really impressed to be around him and hear um, how mature he sounded about that whole situation. No, definitely. Uh, and real quickly before we get into the team here, I, one other question. I just – I don't know how – you know, being in there in the moment, it may have looked quite a bit different. But I know to a lot of us on the outside, Sands – Texas fans because they I don't know it's just like any other fan base their coach says anything and it's the greatest thing in the world especially this time of year when we're starving for anything new but um the Tom Herman situation did you uh, was it as weird in person or as odd or maybe have you heard any of that you guys might be oblivious to that you might have came back thinking everything was okay did it seem a little weird or a little different or a little like he just wasn't there mentally? He checked out or wasn't prepared or what that situation? Do you have any kind of inkling on that? I mean, who, whoever wants to take that, I don't care. I'll take both your answers on that one, either one of you. I mean, for me, uh, Tom Herman, I, I don't think it was anything weird. I remember Matt and I, we uh, did discuss, you know, what we thought of each head coach after they had finished, you know, speaking at the main podium. And Tom Herman – Maybe a little robotic is a good way to put it in mm-hmm. terms of how he is a little maybe kind of rehearsed. I mean, I think I think it might have been a case where he might have been over prepared because uh, mm-hmm. the way he dealt with things. But uh, I think there was one question, you know, when they asked how many championship players or elite players he felt like he had now. And he kind of had the, you know, a long pause for that question because he was actually, you know, sitting there and trying to come up with an actual number, but he never came up with one yeah, so. because I think in the past, <laughs> in the past he, had, he had said he had a certain amount of, uh, of amount of uh, championship players. So I think it might have came off a little interesting the way that he approached certain questions, but I think it, it was a case where he was almost over-prepared to the point where he may have came off a little robotic. Okay. I, I mean, that's totally fair. That's not something I'd really considered. Uh, Matt, you have a take on that? Yeah, similar to Derek. I mean, in some ways – him and I, like he some talked about it in some ways you could say he was the most polished, um, prepared, uh, maybe impressed of all of them. I, mean, I think, I think if you're judging it like a speech class, he was probably the best. And then, but on the flip side, when you go back and you, and you read through what he said and listen to his answers, he kind of comes off as the stereotypical coach who's trying to speak a lot to not really answer a lot of questions. I mean, he, uh, far and away had the longest, um, you know, uh, introduction. I mean, it was probably not to exaggerate five times longer than any other coach. And then, um, he, he would just talk through questions without, without really answering them. So I, I'm, I know I'm being critical side and praising out of the other, 
Um, but I do think a person could watch that and think either way. They could think, man, this guy's really sharp and put together and is doing great. Or another person could say, man, he's just he's just talking, you know. Uh-huh. Um, but uh, but he was it was interesting, you know. And I know and I know Derek really remarked too. He thought the question about you know the, uh, the play calling with Tim Beck. Um, I know Derek's familiar with those guys from Ohio State and that kind of stuff. And that he, he thought that was an interesting answer where he said a lot of words and talked about it, and in, in a way, you know, didn't. didn't yeah, no, I you know as far as it went on our end, I and maybe we just misread it, being that you know we were on TV, you know, going through the TV on the outside looking in and not really having, you know, any way to to be there or to you know really take any kind of temperature of the room or anything. But it just I, I tell you the the sum answer he gave on uh, the you know when they asked him how much talent he thought he had. Now, granted, it's kind of a stupid question uh, in terms of. Most coaches aren't really going to answer that, honestly. Uh, and right. the fact that he even did anything at all to it, I thought, you know, I know a lot of coaches would have dismissed that question. Maybe more seasoned head coaches, uh, you know, maybe his, you know, his former head coach, Urban Meyer, somebody like that, might have completely dismissed it or given a more political type answer. So I was surprised he did that at all. But I know when that answer came across, boy, it was a really <laughs> just almost embar- you felt embarrassed for the guy. Uh, and I'm not, you know, right. I'm by no means a Texas fan, so it doesn't bother me at all. But, you know, I just it felt really weird. And then, I don't know, especially when – and the, the thing I thought was the most odd was uh, – and maybe this is just a condition of him and the fact that he doesn't – maybe he's not a big media fan. I don't know. I still haven't got to know him that well yet just from a, a watching him standpoint. But he had to sit down with – like all coaches did with this – excuse me, I'm forgetting her name. There was a little blonde lady that was doing a sit-down at the table with everybody from Fox Sports. I don't know who she is, but – she did something with him, and man, he was the most, you know, down to earth, nicest guy. Had a lot of honest things to say, you know. Just really felt good about what was going on there, getting his message across, and yada yada yada. And then it was three minutes later, he's on stage, and he was a completely different person. He was, you know, all yeah. off putting, and you know, I don't know, just, I don't, it just weird. I don't know. I, and maybe he's just that's just his personality. I don't know. So again. Maybe you guys were able to t- to take something in the room, the temperatures, you know, something that we weren't able to out here. I know fans kind of ran with it, especially A&M and Oklahoma fans. They had a field day with it. But, uh, you know, I just – I don't know. I was just curious there since you guys were in the room. But, anyway, thank you for putting up with our stupid media day questions. It's not often we get to talk to somebody who was in there. So, <laughs> we appreciate that. Uh, okay, let's roll over to Kansas State here real quick. Um you know, obviously we know how things went for them and everything and how the season ended and all that. Uh, there was, you know, again, some of the rumors of, and I don't know how close you guys hear it. We hear it a lot. Uh, you know, is he, you know, is Snyder coming back and how long is he going to coach and all that? And I know you guys get tired of answering those questions, so we're not going to go there if, if we can avoid it. Um, the one thing I do want to know first and foremost before we get into this team, in you guys' expert opinion, and again, this does kind of go back to Snyder, but how much – I know I'm trying to think of a way to ask this where I can really get the answer I want. How much a part of this team is he in 2018, first and foremost? And and you know I don't mean in turn. Obviously his his shadow is always there and his aura and this is his program. And when parents hear Bill Snyder's after their kid, oh God, that's great. And you know they love the man and family and on and on and on. But how much of the game plan and what we see on the field? Uh, from the standpoint of, you know, he's involved in the offense or defense or all that. And, Matt, you can answer this if you want to first. Um, how much of that is he a part of to, in this day and age? It is. I mean, it is a great question. I think the, an easy 
him is I think he's more involved in 2018 than he was in 2017. And, you know, as you guys I'm sure know, he, he dealt with a lot of cancer treatments the off season last year and wasn't around for, you know, all spring practice and parts of camp. And, and I think, um, I think that caused him to be that. And of course, let's be honest his age and that kind of stuff. He was, he was less involved than maybe would have expected. Um, some people have noticed this off season. I think somebody asked Derek the other day on the board about, you know, does he seem sharper to you this year? Does he seem more involved? And he does a little bit as far as how involved, you know, it's not, it's not where he was, you know, in 2012 or 2003 or those kind of things. I think, I think for sure. I think uh-huh. um, it's not, it's not to Joe Paterno, Bobby Bowden, figurehead level. It's not there. Um, but cause he is very involved in everything that happens, but not, not as much as he used to be. So it's, it's not an unfair criticism for someone to look at him and see him more as, you know, maybe a, a CEO or just overseer type than a, um, as, as insanely detail oriented as he used to be. In, you know, early 2000s. No, definitely. And, I mean, you know, we see that with other coaches. You know, Bob, I definitely know it was that way later in his career, more of the CEO kind of guy at Oklahoma. Mac Brown, you know, towards the end of his thing. Uh, you know, I, I'm i sure I could go on and on if I sit and thought about it long enough. But there's plenty of coaches we've seen kind of became more of a CEO type. So that's definitely understandable for him. You know, it just on the outside looking in, more of a question of, we felt like, you know, how involved is he? Is he there all the time? Which I'm sure he is. It's just to what degree and all that. It's just a curiosity we're going to have until the man's gone, I'm sure. Uh, so, yeah, that's definitely something I wanted to know. Um, Derek, do you feel like – is there a point or have you reached a point or is there a point in any – and especially you being the recruiting coordinator – is there any point he's a detriment? Uh, is there some negative recruiting going on, it being that we don't ever know when his last year is or anything like that? Yeah, I mean, I've spoken to a number of prospects for people close to Kansas State and a number of people close to other programs. I mean, I don't think that they, when they were when they begin a recruitment against Kansas State, that they're necessarily negatively recruiting him. But when it comes down to the final stages of a prospect's recruitment, and it's Kansas State versus another Power 5 program, that prospect, 90% of the time, is hearing from, you know, the opposing school, you know, or at least asking the question, putting the thought into that prospect's head, well, how signed are going to be there? Is he going to be there to coach? If he's not, who is? And uh-huh. Kansas State's answer, you know, response to that, you know, when they get that question is, you know, they'll probably stay in-house, and a lot of the people that are, you know, inside the football building will still be there, and there won't be a lot of turnover even when Bill Snyder has to stop coaching. But, you know, the other teams are certainly, the other coaches are certainly put it into the prospect's heads. You know, you're, the guy coaching you might not even be here right now. And it certainly works in a lot of cases against Kansas State, and it's something that they have to deal with on a regular basis when it comes to recruiting. But then there's also a case, you know, when they're chasing some kids that don't have, you know, they may not have a power five offer or something like that because that's the way kids stay recruits where they don't have to deal with that or the in-state kids where it probably doesn't matter and they would still go to Kansas State anyway. No, no, definitely. I think that's fair and that's kind of what we expected. I just didn't know to, to what extent maybe that was negative uh, because, 
And I, I don't know that I can say this for Kansas State yet because I haven't quite seen the numbers, especially this year. And obviously, Derek, you can kind of to speak this better than I can. I try to follow recruiting, especially, you know, my own personal team. I used to just be, you know, addicted to it. I can't be that way anymore because I have to keep up with this entire league. So I try to do a good, stop, a good job of that. Overall, this league is recruiting better than it was five years ago as a whole, with the exception of Baylor, who's really down from where they were. Uh, although they are coming back up a lot, but, you know, they were starting that one or two years there under Bryles. They really started becoming an elite threat in recruiting, uh, especially at the skill positions. Uh, they're, they're down a little bit, but on their way back up. But for the most part, everybody's recruiting at a level or better than they were, say, four or five years ago. Uh, where is Kansas State in that aspect right now in terms of, you know, the talent that's there now, um, you know, that we've traditionally known them to rely on some JUCO transfers and things like that, especially at quarterback. You know, there's always been a kind of a, at least around here, I know, especially with some of our writers, there's been kind of a saying, well, if, if he's got a second year, you know, if he's the second year quarterback of a JUCO transfer, they're going to be pretty good. You know, there's usually a pattern there on things like that. So, you know, in your aspect, in your opinion, where is this program right now talent-wise versus maybe a 2012, a 2013, when they were a little bit hotter and doing a little bit more? And in terms of the classes that are coming in and those players, where are they in that aspect? I think that from a recruiting aspect, I think that they've been about the same almost year to year and insider's second run. And, I mean, I didn't cover Kent State for the full run, so Matt could probably answer that portion of it a little bit better than I can. But I don't think that it is any class has really strayed too far from the other. Mm-hmm. Um, when they won the Big 12 championship and were competing for Big 12 championships a little bit more, um, you know, Candidly, in 2012, when they won it, and even the year following in 2013, I think they did have a little bit more talent, and that was largely in part of transfers uh, with Chris Harper, guys that were in-state prospects at one point, went and played elsewhere, but then transferred back to Kansas State later on in their career, you know, former high-end four-stars, and in some cases, five-star prospects. And that, that kind of tips Kansas State over the scales uh, to be a championship contender at that point. Um, where it is now is about that same thing, but without, you know, this couple in high end four star, five star kids. Okay. The roster is totally different from the talent standpoint than it was in 2012, with the exception of a couple standout prospects that they just aren't getting anymore. Okay. Okay. Go ahead, Colin. Well, do you want to go ahead and start on the offense? Yeah, go, go ahead. Okay. That's fine. You can go into that. Okay, so last year you had Jesse Yards coming in as a starter, pretty much established going in and everything. Then he has the injury. Then you have, um, it was Alex Delton. Yeah, Alex Delton comes in. He's more of a, a run-first type quarterback, in my opinion. Then he goes down with injury. You have Skylar Thompson come in and just demolish OSU, which happens to be my personal school. So might be still uh, suffering from that one a little bit. But, yeah, you were pretty upset that day. Yeah. Um, anyways, with Ertz moving on, do you feel like any of these quarterbacks have a lead over the other going into the fall? And if so, which I think one? They're, I think they're they're pretty darn even. I think if forced to pick, Delton is probably a little bit more likely to be the starter, although we might also, I'll keep speaking for Tarek, might also tell you that we'd go with Skyler Thompson. At least I probably would. I think your assessment on Dallas Delton's correct. He is a, a better runner than a thrower, but he's not – He's not totally limited as a passer. He's um, he actually came along quite a ways last year and is and a better thrower than I think either Derek or thought he'd get to be, you know, from watching his high school film. 
Um, but uh, Skylar Thompson does seem to give him a little more versatility. The Oklahoma State game was obviously Carson's his best one. I think he went 10 of 13 for around 250 and then ran for about 100 yards too. So I, I think he gives the offense a little more versatility. But K-State's probably going to be so ground-oriented this year with you know all five of their offensive linemen starters back, uh, a lot of depth in the backfield, not a ton of big play potential at receiver that it may make more sense to, to go with a guy who could hurt you more around, um, which would be Alex Delton. Uh, yeah, I, I oh, think, go ahead, Derek. Sorry. I think Alex Delton, probably. With Alex Delton, they're not completely one-dimensional, but much more one-dimensional if he is the quarterback. But they're going to be – they'd be so dynamic at running the ball if he was the uh, quarterback because they're going to have a heck of a run game regardless. If you had Alex Delton to that, then they'll probably, you know, arguably have the best running game in the Big 12. What Skylar Thompson can do, the way he can throw the ball, he's not as limited of a passer – as Alex Delton, he's probably one of the best passing quarterbacks in the state in some time, is he can make you multidimensional because you know you're going to be able to win the ball regardless. And Skylar Thompson kind of gives you the ability to throw the ball. So that's kind of intriguing to me in terms of making Skylar Thompson a quarterback like Matt. I do lean towards Alex Delton being a little bit more likely because he did finish on a, uh, you know, a better note because of how he performed in the bowl game. Because, uh, what what Alex Dalton could do is just, I mean, they're running back, and I think that's more comfortable for Bill Snipe. No, definitely. Uh, yeah, they, they definitely seem to be more comfortable doing that. Um, you know, you had a, a little bit of a pattern where they went 2-0, and then 1-4, and then 5-1 and in their games there. Um, you know, they really turned it on there at the end. Obviously, the big win over OSU. Uh, the Oklahoma game, I think, falls in that 5-1 and pattern. It's pretty close to that, if not. Um, you know, what, uh, Matt, what changed with this team? Was it just the quarterback position? You, you know, you know to... go ahead. Oh, sorry, to cut you off. It's no, a great it's point. They really did it. They really did it two years in a row. I mean, if you go back uh, to 2016 as well, a similar, you know, um, midseason uh, kind of swoon, and then a really strong finish. Um, I think the schedule got better. You know, the Oklahoma State win shocked Derek and I as much as as anybody. We had um, no no belief they'd go down there and and win against a pretty good Oklahoma. Do you take that out and some of the wins were against Kansas and Texas Tech on the road and then Iowa State? And, and really, you know, if you break those down, they were very fortunate to win it in Lubbock um, last year, uh, very fortunate to beat Iowa State at home. So um, I think just a combination of the schedule being a little bit easier and then having some good fortune, you know, because you could flip the script to their losses too. You know, they lost to Texas and, and over time, you know, lost to Oklahoma by a score, West Virginia by five. And I mean, you know, I think the luck just turned out a little. Um, more beatable of opponent, uh, and then momentum helps too. You know, you win a few in a row and you start to start to believe in yourself. But it's just interesting because it's been a back to back instance of that the past two years where they started okay, had a rough middle, and then finished pretty strong. Yeah, definitely. And I know it seems like um, was it not this last year's team, but the year before they were uh, pretty experienced. If I remember right, weren't they? Weren't they a little bit more of an experienced team? They, uh, they had a little more senior leadership in 16. They probably brought back more experience as far as starting experience in 17, but a lot of that kind of went out the window when, as you guys mentioned, you know, when Jesse Hurts got knocked out so early. So that did 
cost him a lot um, in experience compared to the year before. Okay, yeah, I was just trying to see if that dynamic of you know inexperienced team, you know, you know, learning as they go. But you know, obviously that was a, a team in '16 that at least had some some more older leadership and stuff on the team. So um, you know, with, we know the running game. It's pretty hard not to feel good about what, the, especially even traditionally, even if you didn't quite know some of the answers at line and and running back and all that. It seemed it'd be a little hard to be down on this team and thinking they can't run the ball because they do it so well. Um, so you know, with the loss of like Pringle and some of those guys, who are going to be the weapons you feel like, uh, Derek? If you want to answer this one, go ahead. Who's going to be the weapons outside for this team that you feel like the most? Oh, I think uh, the guy I like um, here. I uh, got hurt at the end of the year, missed a few balls. Uh, he wasn't really a focal point of the offense at the beginning. He was injured at the end. But those, you know, that middle chunk of games, I think it was three or four of them, uh, he was pretty prolific. Uh, the Texas game in particular, uh, he uh, torched them a couple times too, uh, with some, uh, you know, longer receptions. It was even, you know, a pretty long touchdown. So I think he's someone that they'll be able to count on. I Probably their most gifted wide receiver, perhaps. He's the fastest guy on the team. He's got great hands. Um, he's, so, he's a pretty good route runner, even though he could probably get a little bit more crisper in, in that respect. Uh, he's just someone that has, even though he's a 4-4 speed guy, he doesn't play that fast in the football field, at least not that we have seen yet. Uh-huh. And that's probably the next step that he needs to take. And if he does that, along with Dalton Schoen, I feel good about their top two guys if he can emerge his potential beyond that that's where the question marks lie uh for me with Kansas State and you're not going to do well in this league with only two guys you can count on yeah no definitely that's true okay well I guess I'll, I'll direct this one to Matt but running backs last season it was more of a running back by committee I think you had three backs that really toted the ball a lot do you feel like I mean coming into the season Alex Barnes is getting a lot of hype again as he was last season do you feel like this season if he stays healthy they could really carry the load for the team or do you think they're going to stay with that running back by committee approach? I, I think it, uh, it's a great question. I think K-State will always be a little bit by committee when they don't have, you know, a Darren Sproles or just a superstar. Um, but I, I do think Alex Barnes is going to see a higher percentage of carries, you know, than he did last year or even the year before. Um, I think he's, uh, they do have a lot of depth there. I mean, they, they, every team says that, but they really do. Um, they've got a guy, Justin Selman, who, who's a senior and started games as far back as his freshman year for K-State. Dalvin Wormax, a smaller scat back type who they, they really should use in the passing game. They're going to play him some. And then uh, fans are probably most excited, even about even with Barnes included, about Mike McCoy, a sophomore, who's I think listed at 6'2", 236. And um, uh, at least for K-State, K- looks like a guy who could fit, you know, in the Alabama backfield physically and that kind of thing. So people get excited about him. But all those guys discussed, Barnes clearly the best back on the team. Um, he's, he's really trusted by the coaching staff, I believe. And I think they learned last year. Um, there are some games where, where Alex Barnes would have a few big plays and then not touch the ball for long stretches because, like you said, they wanted to go with the committee approach, and, and they didn't have much success in those games. And, and Alex Barnes um, even had the courage to speak out about that a little bit, which is pretty rare here, and um, wasn't punished. You know, came back, started the next game, got more carries. And, and I think K-State coaches understand the importance of him to their offense and they're going to use all the four of those backs I talked about, but I'd, I'd be surprised if, if you don't look at Alex Barnes as being, you know, easily the leading rusher when, uh, when the season's over. Um, you know, I'd like both of you guys to answer this, Matt and Derek, because I'm curious to see if there, if there's any kind of different viewpoint for you there. But 
Um, you know, without Dana Dimmel, what you know, what are you expecting from this offense to look different now? In what ways are you expecting to look different now, if at all? Is it too much of a system? You know, are you kind of stuck there and you you know what you're going to be and how you're going to do it? Or do you expect some different, you know, some changes maybe given that the receivers coach has come over, Coleman I believe his name is now, um, you know, Andre Coleman uh, is coming over to do that job now. You know, how do you expect this offense to look any different, if at all? I think personally for me, I think that the core of the offense is not going to change because at its core, it's Bill Snyder's offense. And what Dana Dimmel elected to do was, you know, you know, take particular portions of that playbook and emphasize that. With Andre Coleman, I think you could see him emphasize other players a little bit more, other positions a little bit more. For example, under Dana Dimmel the last few um, handful of years, actually, the tight end was rarely used in the passing game. I mean, not just that. I mean, they didn't even run that many routes with their tight end. They have one in particular that could be a really good pass-catching tight end in Nick Lenners. I think that particular aspect of the offense is going to be highlighted and emphasized more. And I think that Andre Coleman, I think, might be a little bit more in tune to their personnel. I think that they're going to craft and, you know, pick out the plays for this offense and um, and emphasize the parts that will or the strength of the team rather than at times I think we saw in the past with Dana Dibble. Um, not to say he is a, he's a bad coordinator because he's been pretty cool, but I think they were, at times they were trying to fit, you know, a square peg in a round hole. Mm-hmm. And I don't think they're Coleman at the helm. Mm-hmm. Matt, your thoughts on that? Yeah, I think he, I think he nailed it um, and said it really well. I think, I think if you're a really, you know, casual big 12 fan and you just watch K state, you know, when they play your team or a couple times a year, and you watch them this year, you probably won't see any difference. You'll probably think it's the same offense um, that you've seen, you know, in years past. I think I think if you're a diehard Big 12 person or case who watches them constantly, I, I do think you'll you'll notice some some changes. Um, and it's like what Derek talked about. I think you'll see the tight end going from being a total non-factor to at least a bit of a factor. I think you'll see at times a little bit more tempo, but um, that'll still be rare uh, for, for K-State. And I think you'll see some different, you know, use of, of that depth in the backfield. So I think a, I think a really informed, you know, uh, interested fan will think it's got some some tweaks to it. But I think for the most part, just like you said, it's going to look like the same unit. And the principles will overall be, you know, the same. They'll want to control the ball and not make mistakes. Possession and and they'll still try to do those kind of things regardless of, of who the coordinator is. It, it just dawned on me: is that Andre Coleman that used to play for Kansas State? Same one, yeah. He was he uh, played on their their Copper Bowl team way back in way back in '93, and yeah. then played in the NFL receiver. for the Chargers. And yeah, same, same guy, receiver. exactly, yeah, exactly okay. right. Okay, yeah. yeah, okay. Name dropping there. That's sorry. I just uh, I saw that name <laughs> and I thought I know that name. I it's when, it's when you start to feel. It's when you feel old, you know. When when players you remember are coaches now. Oh, you know definitely. I mean? uh, yeah, um, I was only like eight or nine years old, yeah. so yeah. Yeah, I remember. That's about when I really started watching football. I was about eight or nine years old. I started watching it a lot back then, so yeah. Well, I think we'd be remiss if we didn't let you guys talk about the offensive line. I mean, this is typically a unit of strength for Kansas State. And obviously, this one's returning a lot, starting off with um, basically all Big 12, Dalton Risner. What do you guys expect for this? Do you do you expect them to be any better than last year or kind of you know maintaining what they've been? And to to either one of you guys. I mean, for me, they, they return all five starters in the offensive line. It's hard for me to think that they're not going to be better 
Now, just because the return all five starters doesn't mean that'll be the five. I mean, we've heard chatter, you know, last couple of months that there's possibility of, you know, younger players, you know, actually challenging for playing time and could unseat one of the starters. And Bill Snyder kind of validated that in particular at Big 12 Media Day, you know, specifically saying Josh Rivas has a chance to, uh, you know, be one of the starting guards and he's a richer freshman. So uh, there could be negotiation who those five are, regardless of them returning all five starters. But it's hard for me to look at this group, especially since Bill Snyder said, that he believes he had eight guys that are good enough to start. It's hard for me to think that they're not going to be a lot better. Yeah, I, w- I would agree with them. And I think, you know, on Reisner too, uh, and, and a lot of players can say this, but he played all of last year pretty, pretty seriously injured from, from game one um, and was never never close to 100%. Um, he certainly thinks he had off-season surgery and, and seems to be, you know, in good shape. So, I mean, I think that makes that makes a huge difference and. And like Derek said, I mean, they, they have guys, the one guy he mentioned in particular, who's he got a chance to push, you know, a two-year returning starter as a position to perhaps take over his job. So it'd be, it'd be a surprise if that unit's not, not you know, not a, a big strength for them this year. Okay. Yeah, that's kind of what we were expecting, too, kind of what we'd heard. Um, this is kind of a two-part question for me over to the defensive side of the ball real quick. And I want to start the first part. Matt, have you answered it? Derek, have you answered the second part? This offense, and again, and like we just talked about, it's a system. People kind of expect the general stuff. I mean, there are some wrinkles, like where you have the fullback leak out. You know, what was the Gronkowski kid leak out right. against Oklahoma for a long touchdown pass and stuff like that. There are some oh creative tweaks and wrinkles to it, but for the most part, we know you know what you're going to get with this offense and, and the base of what it looks like. Uh, the first part of this, Matt, do you feel like it hurts them in this league to some extent, knowing that? You know, as good as Kansas State is, there's. I still think there's always going to be a ceiling to some of the talent they're going to get. I don't know that they're ever, unless there just really becomes a point where they start rattling off several Big 12 championships and a national title and all that. To me, there's a limit and a ceiling to the defensive talent they're going to get at some point. And maybe some fans take that personal, and I'm sorry if you do. It's just the way I see it. You're welcome to argue with me if you want. Um, knowing that, does this offensive system, to an extent, hurt it, hurt itself, hurt this team in this in this league, and maybe put a cap on what they're capable of? And the second half of that, Derek, do you see that in recruiting? Does it hurt them in recruiting? Do you see kids that just flat out will not even consider Kansas State because of this offensive system? Um, you know, the the first part of the question, I think it's a great one. People ask Bill Snyder um, on this a different topic, but it was just kind of a hypothetical. People were asking, Hey, if somebody came in this league and ran the wishbone triple option, could it be successful? Um, and you know, that was a fascinating topic and, and Bill Snyder thought they could. And I, you know, I, I think I, I'm kind of a, I guess I look at the opposite way. I, I don't think K state because of the way they choose to recruit and Garrett will explain that better than I can. Um, I think they need to be different. I think they need to be hard to prepare for uh, and run a different style than perhaps what you see week after week with um, some of the other schools. Mm-hmm. And and so it, it does explosiveness. And there's apps, you can absolutely make the case that it does put a cap on the amount of points they can put on the board and the big plays they can make. But I, I think I think to me it is a little bit more of an advantage because they are unique to prepare for and teams aren't recruiting the size perhaps necessary to go against an offense that well they'll, they'll, they'll run stuff out of formations that look modern you know whether it's the pistol or or spread it still ends up being you know option football or, or a lot of you know leads with the quarterback so I, I do think it gives them the advantage but um 
I do see the point about, you know, do you put a cap on yourself by running your offense that way? Okay. Derek, can you answer the second part of that question? Yeah. Um, you know, it, it is a good question, and it's uh, probably something that I would have thought myself from outside perspective uh, before I started covering Kansas State. But honestly, I haven't really come across that. Um, and in terms of, you know, they're not getting a certain talented or certain, you know, rated prospect has never been from what I've uncovered due to their offensive system or what they choose to do or how they strategically, you know, proceed through a game. I've never, that's never come up. Or what's more come up is just their lack of emphasis on recruiting in particular because they put so much focus into other aspects of the program. That's usually typically what uh, kind of hurts them more so in recruiting. And, and I know, I know some are like, what about the wide receivers, you know, especially with kind of a, you know, the uh, sometimes limited or less focused offensive passing game because they, they're known for running the ball and that'll kind of always be their bread and butter. But I mean, just, I think it was 2013 or 2014, um, Matt can correct me if I'm wrong. They had Jake Waters as a quarterback and they kind of aired it out quite a bit at that point. So I don't think they're all ever put a cap on the type of, talent that they can bring in. I, I think they cap themselves basically on an effort and emphasis uh, standpoint in recruiting. Okay. No, that, that's, I mean, that's, that's a little surprising. I mean, I really expected to hear, you know, some stories of, well, yeah, I'm, you know, a wide receiver wouldn't go there or whatever. So yeah, that's, that's definitely interesting and good for them, obviously, because they could, I could think it, uh, it could really turn people off. Uh, you know, and really have some negative recruiting aspects of don't worry about going there. They're never going to let you be, you know, the kind of player you need to be. So um, each one of you real quick before we move on to defense, starting with Derek, uh, if you had to guess right now, who's the – which player on this offense has the wow factor? Which is the guy we're going to see making the most highlights or who's the biggest home run hitter on this offense in your opinion, starting with you and then Matt? On the offense? Yes. On the offense, the home run hitter would probably be – Alex Delton with his legs, actually, and that, that could be the deciding factor of who they decide to uh, put a quarterback because he can, you know, turn a two-yard gain into an 80-yard gain in a hurry. But I have Alex Barnes as a close second, in my opinion. Okay. Matt, who's the guy you think uh, at the end of the year when we look back? Those are the those are the best two answers, so I don't know. I think I would just – I'll just give you a different one. I would say Mike McCoy. Um uh, he will not start running back over Alex Barnes, but I think there'll be a few plays this year where, where people watch him and marvel at how he doesn't probably play more. Um, so uh, Barnes is kind of an obscure one to be Mike McCoy, their backup tailback. Okay, that's fair. I'm just curious. We need to know who to watch for, so that's what we count on guys like right. you. Uh, Colin, go ahead. Uh, I have one more question for you on Alex Delton. With you guys saying that the new offensive coordinator is going to basically run the same system for all intents and purposes – his size is, you know, not your prototypical Kansas State quarterback for this type of, of offense that they run with the power game and everything. Can he hold up for a whole season carrying the ball the way that they normally do? Uh, I think I think it'll be. Yeah, go ahead, Matt. I think we, I think we both are the same thing. I think we both be. Uh, I think we both think it's unlikely. I mean, if he's going to, if yeah, I, I don't know that he's you know, six foot, five two oh six. He's in good shape. He's you know put together, but. Yeah, if they're going to run him in the middle of the line 15, 20 times a game, it's hard to picture him um, lasting an entire season. 
Yeah, and I remember that thinking was the problem, that. That was, that was the problem they had last year. He got uh, hurt in the KU game. Um, he was out a couple games after that. There were more so head injuries at the point, but and he's recovered now, obviously. But, I mean, that's the concern with him if he's your quarterback because they do like an inside. The one thing he does have going for him that he can kind of mitigate maybe the uh, the level of contact that he absorbs throughout a season is He's explosive in his first few steps. But his first few steps are um, pretty unmatched when it comes to anybody in the Big 12. And I'm saying something I know, but he is a very, very – he's not going to be top-end speed. I think if you race him 50 yards, there's a lot of players that can catch up to him. But in the first 10 yards, I don't think there's any that are going to be close to him. Yeah, that's okay, – yeah. I mean, that's fair, yeah. You can definitely watch him in games and see that. Uh, the, the injury thing, kind of a good uh, segue to the defensive side of the ball. You guys, by my count, and I could be wrong here, and if you have a different number, feel free to share it. Uh, by my count, you only got two D linemen and one defensive back on the field for all 13 games. It started all 13 games. Uh, you guys had some injuries, and if you have something different, go ahead. That's just a number I have. Um, you know, it, it, was that good for this team? Obviously, it's never good to have that many injuries. But was it was it good for this team, Matt? In your opinion, uh, in getting some people ready, or is it just left a lot of questions because we don't know who's going to stand out on this defense this year? There's there's a lot of questions, you know, really in in the middle of the defense at, at linebacker. They that's the position that more or less there's, there, you know, of course they have some talented guys who have. Uh, either redshirted last year or sat out who are going to play, but they're, they're certainly unproven. And, yeah, that's the funny thing with turning starters. There's so many ways to look. I would say in the secondary that they have three guys back who are returning starters and Duke Shelley and Kendall Adams and Denzel Goolsby. Um, you know, there's Knicks here and there, but those three guys started predominantly the entire season. And then on the defensive line, um, Trey Deshaun at D-tackle started every game, I believe. And then they have three or four different ends who started multiple games. So, um, you, you could you could argue they have a decent amount of experience back, but but man, they they lost their you know their biggest playmaker really at every level. You know, tackle was their best player probably on defense, and he's gone again. They lost really they play they're a base four three, but they play more nickel than anything, and they lost both starting linebackers and then DJ Reed in the secondary is their best player. So they they did like you say they have a lot of guys who end up seeing some time whether it's for injuries or. For whatever reason last year, but the thing that that I look for, I, I worry that he lack or our playmakers throughout that unit. No, definitely, and you know, Derek, you know, as I see it, you guys lost uh, Jade, Jade Kirby, uh, Will Geary, Tanner Wood, a lot of a lot of tackles for a loss there, a lot of getting in the backfield, a lot of what people would call, you know, guys who wreak havoc, who do some of that. So, you know, kind of on the heels of what Matt just said. Are there anybody you're pointing to to kind of replace that or or be able to do that? Uh, you know, is it Duke Shelley? Is it somebody like that that, you know, just a playmaker that's going to have to occasionally blitz off the corner and come get somebody? You know, what? who are some of the names you're looking for to to create some of that havoc for this defense? Yeah, I mean, they are losing Gary, Wood, Kirby. But in ways, um, I don't know if it's going to come out as an upgrade. But in ways, losing those guys with the ones that are projected to replace them, there's definitely going to be an upgrade in talent, or not a talent, well, it might be talent level, an upgrade in athleticism. You lose Jake Kirby, who's a pretty athletic guy, pretty fast, but Elijah Sullivan is one, probably one of, probably the fastest linebacker on the team, and he'll be out there for more snaps now 
And Daquan Patton is a guy that they're really bullish on in terms of his potential. And he redshirted off last year. He's a JUCO transfer. And he definitely, uh, I would say Sullivan and Patton probably both have more athleticism than a Jay Kirby and Trent Sainting. So um, they're downgrading in experience and snaps for sure, but they're upgrading in athleticism and spades at that point. Um, Will Gary will be the toughest to replace because I don't know that they're going upgrading either talent or athleticism necessarily, and definitely not upgrading in snack or experience. They're going to go with Drew Wiley, I think, who is uh, – uh, they claim that he's the strongest guy on the team, so that's a good starting point. But he's still kind of unproven, even though he played uh, sparingly last year as a true freshman. And in terms of Tanner Wood, not a knock on the kid at all, but he probably underachieved greatly last year, and I think he lost a lot of playing time as the season went on, and Kyle Ball started to play quite a bit. So I don't think it would be completely inaccurate to say they're going from Tanner Wood to Kyle Ball. What they do need to see is uh, um, Reggie Walker to bounce back. He had a really good freshman mm-hmm. year at Kansas State, but last year as a sophomore, I thought that he slumped quite a bit. And if that continues, then someone like Wyatt Hubert is uh, definitely a guy to keep an eye on and probably would be the young pup on the team that you don't know his name now, but you will by the end of the season. Yeah, and I was just about to ask about Reggie Walker, Matt. Um, obviously, kind of a potential star, I would think. You know, he he's had some pretty, you know, again, a little bit of a dip, but overall looks pretty good. Um, you know, is it is he capable of being that leader on this team? Who are some of the leaders on this defense? Because to me, that kind of looks like maybe some of what you guys have to, to figure out. I don't know. You could correct me if you're wrong, but it definitely looks like we need to figure out the leadership and who's going to kind of lead at every level. And who is that in your opinion, Matt? It's a great question too. I mean, and Reggie Walker, yeah, after thought this guy was headed to, um, he was freshman all American. Um, I thought, you know, all big 12 player for sure. It's funny. I think the coaches, maybe Derek can correct me. I think the coaches voted him second team all big 12 last year, which kind of shocked us because, he, he certainly struggled. Um, a guy who had, I think, seven and a half sacks as a freshman dipped to around two last year. And mm-hmm. it wasn't all because of double team. It's easy to say, oh, he got more attention. And he did. But it's, it's not like teams were necessarily game planning to take away Reggie Walker. So um, he's the big line. But like Derek said, you know, a guy, Kyle Ball, uh, could have a chance to play better. Um, um, Wyatt Hubert's a young guy who, who they really like. You know, Trey Deshaun, we've mentioned We'll talk about him probably more than any other player on the team um, right now. So, although I don't see him as a huge difference maker, um, he's a good, solid player. So, that's the question. It might be in the secondary. I mean, I think Duke Shelley is a guy who he'll get a wide range of opinions on. But I think the last three or four games last year, he was probably Jerry was hurt, I guess, for one. But Shelly probably developed into the best corner of the last half of the season. And then Kendall Adams, the guy they lost to an Achilles injury that steps come back from. It's a big safety, you know, 6'1", 230. Um, but, uh, not, but not a thumper like you would necessarily peg him to be. Um, another guy that makes big plays. I think I think if you're looking for leaders and playmakers, case they would probably like it to be those two guys in the secondary in Shelly and Adams. Yeah, no, definitely. Uh, Derek, let's talk a little bit about transfers real quickly because there definitely is some on the defense here, as you can tell. I'm sure you've kind of tracked this pretty well here. Uh, but you got the tackle from Texas State, Jordan Mitty, I want to say. Uh, mm-hmm. uh, let's see, uh, the Virginia linebacker, Eric Gallon, the second. Uh, you, also got, you guys also got four JUCO players, uh, DBs and stuff. 
And linebackers, uh, Rashawn York, Daryl Patterson, Kevion McGee, and Tyquilio Moore. Uh, you know, those names there, anybody that you really feel good about or hearing about on campus kind of filled that gap and done a good job so far? I mean, I think I don't think it's a certainty that any of them see significant snaps. I think a lot of them are going to be – some of them could be redshirted. I mean, Rasan York at linebacker, I think is definitely towards the redshirt. Um, Tequila Moore at defensive tackle, I don't know that he would – he might be redshirted as well. I mean, there's a lot of bodies at defensive tackle vying for a spot. I think he has some body training too. Uh, Daryl Patterson still has a redshirt, uh, you know, available, and I think they might take advantage of that as well. I think if you're looking at one guy, and it's really only one guy I can think of out of that list that could have an impact on this year's defense would be KB McGee, whether that is a, as a third corner for a little depth to uh, Shelly and A.J. Parker. Or if he can take home uh, the nickel starting role away from uh, Walter Walter Neal, that's funny. But I think out of the, the group you mentioned, the one that has the best chance of playing at all would be Kevion McGee, who's he's from Northeastern Oklahoma A&M. Yeah, yeah, we're definitely familiar with them. I mean, you know, matter of fact, one of our best friends played there for a little bit. So, yeah, we definitely know about them. Uh, real quick, moving over to special teams, Matt, what do we need to know about just as a whole in that group? Uh, you know, kick return, punt return, kicker, anything that's an, a problem there in your opinion? Do Are we feeling pretty good about that situation? I mean, that could be the question of the year for K-State is, is they win so many games based on their ability on special teams. Um, and, and right now, there's questions at almost all those spots. I think they'll be fine in the return game. They, they you hate to be lazy and say they always are, but they always are, and, and they do <laughs> have guys more they lock, like back there. You guys don't have any more lockets stashed away, do you? They're not, not yet. <laughs> I know there's three more younger lockets yeah. still, but uh, yeah. they're too little. Um, but but no, I think um, you could see a, a number of guys in their well. They always do that, but it's really it's really kicker and punter. Um, they did not find answers at those spots in the spring. They still got open competition at both spots. And I think if you're going to ask a K-State fan what they're most scared about, they might say kicker and punter right off the bat. Because if, if K-State um, is only average, you know, or, or even worse, at those positions, a lot of these, you know, five-point wins we're talking about that they get because of their, their special teams um, could go out the window. So I think if you're going to watch anything – kicker and punter but um that may be the spots to keep an eye on because i, I think k-state's really going to need to find production there yeah no definitely uh derek do you have any any alternative thoughts there on special teams anything else you're looking for or any maybe freshman that you potentially is out on the horizon right now that could be coming in you feel like could make a change for this team or not really i i'd be uh, surprised i don't think they like to play freshmen on special teams Mm-hmm. All that much. That, but, that uh, feels like that sounds like something Bill Snyder would definitely have as a rule. <laughs> yeah, Maxwell Paducah is a a punter kick slash kicker that they added in the summer. I think he just enrolled almost a month ago, and he was someone they saw through one of their kicking camps in June, and they liked him so much they brought him in. Not a scholarship player, but they signed him, signed him as a preferred walk on, and got him in right away. So, um, with them not finding any of the answers they wanted in the spring. And being impressed enough by him at the kicking camp that they basically brought him in on the spot, I think that's one guy that maybe to keep an eye on from one of those uh, battles uh, during fall camp. In terms of returner, I don't think that they have anything locked down there yet, but I know that during the spring, for the most part, 
the ones were were Duke Shelley and Dalvin Wormack. Okay. Okay, we'll keep an eye on that situation going forward. Definitely can be, uh, you know, we know how important special teams are. I know some people overlook all that stuff, but, you know, I mean, you go back to the Texas punter taking one off the face mask against OSU and, uh, of course, the Lockets and how they've some of their returns. And uh, I'm forgetting the, the if you want to go back a little ways, I'm forgetting the name of the guy, but the big return against Oklahoma in 2000. Uh, you know, there's definitely been some some big plays on special teams. So, and you guys are known for that there. I mean, you guys have, I don't. There's a stat, and I don't know it off the top of my head, but there's something about special teams that you guys are leading the country for the last 20 years and stuff. So, uh, definitely has been a big part of y'all's program. Do you know that stat, Matt? Derek, did you ha- did you have it, Derek? Can you have the non-offensive touchdowns in their day? What did you say it was? It's 2011. Uh, I, I have it. They have the most non-offensive touchdowns in the nation. Now that could be defensive touchdowns yeah. too. But the yeah. most non-offensive touchdowns in the nation since 1999 with 111. And I think they have 48 uh, special teams touchdowns since 2005 or something like that. Good Lord, man. That's See, ridiculous. I'd be interested to get your guys' takes on the changes to the return games that are going on with the rules and everything, you know, with the fair the, catch. The kickoff, yeah. Yeah. How do you guys think I, that'll I, impact K-State? I think, you know, and again, this maybe sounds like a boring topic to a lot of people, but I think it's a huge topic for K-State. Um, I know we're talking kick coverage here, but if you go back and, you know, you look how K-State wins games when they get outgained by hundreds of time, um, it, it really starts with that. I mean, they're the best kick coverage team in the country. Top five, four straight years. I think last year they gave up their average starting field position on a kickoff return was the 16. Um, so you talk about taking that away and that a team – if they have the discipline, can just take a fair catch to the 25 instead of the 25. Um, I know K-State's not happy about that. I, I think they may try to find ways to to eliminate the fair catch, whether that's long squib kicks or, or whatnot. But mm-hmm. I think it's a big rule for K-State, and they don't know how they're going to handle it just yet. And, and again, it's one of those things, if you're in a kick, that doesn't impact the game. It's not a big deal. But all of a sudden, if teams start you know, starting every drive at the 25 or better against K-State, um, some of that hidden yardage goes away and, and, and could make a difference that would perhaps negatively impact them. No, definitely. And, I, and I'm curious to see uh, how some teams play this. Like you just said, if you are a really good kick cover team and you know that, do you do some things to, to take that out of players' hands? I know, uh, you know, in terms of like Oklahoma, for instance, they're just going to have Cybert to boom them out of the back of the end zone every time, so right. it doesn't matter anyway. But, you know, there are some teams I feel like will do that. And is there some of that chess match? You know, is there a team that – a coach that doesn't, you know, traditionally return the ball well or a team that doesn't, and they go on go into like game three or four on tape of only taking fair catches, and then all of a sudden when they really need one, they go, you know, try to really return one. So I'm interested to see some of that cat and mouse stuff too that goes on there. And, you know, I, I think that could be boring for some people, but I do think there could be some situations where that does swing some games if, if people are caught napping. So – Definitely, I think that's interesting. Um, you know, into a game like, uh, well, for instance, the again, getting back to Oklahoma, the Oklahoma game where they won or they were winning, the, leading the whole game, you know, looked like they had them put away. To some degree, got, you know, Baker Mayfield a little bit. You know, Rodney Anderson makes the play at the end or they don't win the game uh, in, on the side of Oklahoma. When you lose games like that and then you see them win a game like they did when they go into Stillwater and OSU, uh, you know, starting with Matt and then Derek, you can answer this too. What What's different, you know, other than the opponent and all that and stuff, but were there differences in the team 
uh, in terms of just being, you know, it was as simple as the kids showed up for one, didn't show up for the other, uh, you know, because obviously they were there, like in, on the Oklahoma side of the Kansas State game, for instance, they looked a little bit like they were napping early and somebody didn't send them the memo that Kansas State's going to try to run you over, um, you know. Stuff like that. Is it simple as, well, college kids are college kids. How do you get some of that to where they finish, you know, finish a game so they don't lose a game like that? You know, what happens to them late in that game? Was it just Oklahoma showed up and was better than them in that situation? Was it just they caught Oklahoma State napping and came out and just, you know, put a slugfest on them? What do you do? You have any kind of explanation there? Because I know that's got to be tough for fans. Because uh, when you go back and look at games like that that are close that you could have won, um, you know, is that is that on the coaching staff in your opinion? You know, what's happened in those situations? Do you have any kind of inkling at all? You know, in Oklahoma, played the game, and they, I'm going to look at this as kind of a trend. And offensively, they got the ball moving when they kind of went a little bit more up tempo, right? It was kind of a last. Uh, few minutes kind of deal where they had to speed up the offense and mm-hmm. you know, make sure they got scored in time to win that game. And even when uh, Oklahoma State and Stillwater, Cowboys came back at the end of the game, scored a bunch of points in the fourth quarter when they set up, up Kansas State on defense. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know if there's any like mental block there, you know, taking teams too lightly or only getting up for the games that they need to or anything like that. I don't think it's that, to be honest. I think last year specifically, you know, You'd have to look at it from a year-to-year standpoint. But last year specifically for me, I think it was a defense that was pretty poor against offenses that ran a little bit more of tempo. Because I think we saw that in Oklahoma State. We saw that against Oklahoma at the end of the game, both the end of the game to both of those contests, and even West Virginia to some capacity. So I think for me, I thought last year it was more, and I can't believe other teams didn't take this when teams ran up tempo offensively against Kansas State's defense. Okay. Matt, you have any thoughts there? I know it's kind of an odd question. Oh, I, I'm just I, trying to stab at something no, no, for fans. No, no, I think he, I, I think he nailed it. I think, and I, you know, and you said it part of the question, and not to take away from Kansas State, because I think they were obviously very competitive in both games, but I, I got the sense Oklahoma State in that crowd there in Stillwater that day in general, just probably, and, and like I said, me and Derek driving there didn't think K-State would, would be there. I think they got surprised by K-State, and, um, and by the time, you know, they got hot. They were down by so much that it was going to be almost impossible for them to come back. And was part of Oklahoma State just perhaps not being ready, you know, for that game. And then um, whereas whereas Oklahoma, I think uh, I think it was what what Derek said. I, th- I remember being on the sideline in that game and turning either to Derek or to Jeff who worked with us and just saying, kind of saying, K State's got to do something defensively to take a chance and try to make a play, which wasn't wasn't their mo and wasn't what they're going to do because uh-huh. you know with the tempo they were playing with, Oklahoma was just was going to score and try to do anything creative or try to, uh, tr- I mean, you're not going to trick Baker anyway, but I, and, um, and when they don't, when they don't do that and they can't force, you know, mistakes or, or offenses don't get, and it's ironic because Derek's right. What I'm trying to say is the tempo is very, very important, but you have to be patient with it. You have to be willing. You can go fast. It's not the ball every five seconds. You have to be willing to take a bunch of 12 yard completions, um, which is what case they're going to give you the entire, the entire day. Uh-huh. And the teams that do that are successful. And Oklahoma could take those and turn them into big plays after the catch where Oklahoma state spent a lot of the day, you know, um, throwing bombs, that look, which isn't going to work. And until it will, it will in stretches, but not as much as, you know, um, as much as it typically did for, for Rudolph and James Washington. So I just think Oklahoma approached it a better way than Oklahoma state did for a good part of the game. And that was probably the difference in the two outcomes. 
No, definitely. And, you know, I know that's kind of a broad question, but I just I know as a fan, if I'm a fan of the team watching that, man, it's it's heartbreaking thinking, you know, if we knock out, and first of all, putting that on your mantle, you knock off the team that eventually played in the Rose Bowl and was an overtime away from going to the right. national title. So that's big for you. But just as a fan, those are gut-wrenching and hard to, to lose in those games. So, you know, I'm just curious is if you could give them some kind of inkling as to what happened in those. And sometimes it's just you got beat. In some situations you get beat late. Right. But anytime you have that control of a game and, and, you're, and there's even a stat now for that game control and things like that, when you have that control and you feel like you've got it by the horns and then all of a sudden they take it away from you last minute, uh, that's that's tough as a fan, you know. And again, I know I'm I'm not we're not the media, and I'm talking like a silly fan. I know, but it's it's hard for people to 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 deal with that sometimes. So I was just curious what you thought might be there. Um, looking at their schedule, you know, and, and especially if you look at I don't know how much you guys are into numbers. I'm a geek. I'm a nerd, so I love looking at numbers and things like that. But looking at win probability and stuff like that. It's about a 50-50, uh, you know, depending on who you go with. Some of them are, you know, real close to borderline, but roughly about a 50-50 games they think you'll win and lose. Um, you know, before we get into record and all that, you know, so again, starting with Derek uh, and also Matt, I want your opinion on this too. Uh, first of all, what is the toughest stretch you guys feel like? And, you know, if that's obvious, fine, but just in your opinion so we can get it out there for maybe people that haven't looked at the schedule yet. What do you guys feel like is the toughest stretch for you guys in this season to survive? And and if you come out on that okay, then maybe you're looking at a really good season. I, I think it's early for Kansas State, to be honest. I think you look at game two, game four, game five. Uh, game two, they play Mississippi State at home. Mm-hmm. Game four, they go to West Virginia. And game five, they're home against Texas. And you can barely use now with some of the more difficult part of the schedule out of the way. But I don't do you ever want to start a season five games in be below 500 so in terms of a tough stretch i think that's the one you have to kind of you know pinpoint in terms of your know, kansas state schedule i think they might have oklahoma and tcu back to back as well but i think just there's there's great opportunity with that as well if you can beat two of those three in mississippi state you know then you're looking at four or one with a healthy portion of the schedule remaining no, definitely. Uh, Matt, you got a different view- viewpoint or same for you? No, real, real similar again. I mean, I mean, and you guys made the point earlier, a couple of years in a row, they had this, you know, kind of a average start, middle finish, uh, you know, middle struggle and good finish. It, it could it could happen again. I mean, I think Derek's right. The key is that three-game stretch early. That includes, well, there's a non-conference game in the middle of it, uh, an easier non-conference game, but you stayed at home at West Virginia Tech's at home. I think that's big. And then, of course, there's that midseason stretch at OU and TCU. It's going to be tough. But they do. it does get easier again at the end. I think they finish up with some order of, you know, Kansas, Texas Tech, and Iowa State. Um, so I, I think it's it's so important for them. If K-State's two and three, five games in, you're heading towards another, you know, six and six, seven and five, you know, eight and four at best type season. But if they can get, get through that stretch early, it does suddenly become a team that um, I still think playing for Big 12 championships quite a stretch. I'd probably be in it late in the season if they're able to have some success early against either Texas or West Virginia. No, definitely. And and for me, uh, again, I'm definitely not the expert on K-State, but just looking at this on paper, to me, I feel like in, in what could be bigger, and especially in terms of how this team ends up, what bowl game they end up in, you know, if, if, if you know, possibly they get to a playoff or if it's the seller, you know, either way, I think the four – uh, are the game the five games at the very end to me are I feel like maybe the most critical in terms of 
yes, there's Kansas in the middle of it, but one, that's a rivalry game. And before that, you go to Oklahoma, to TCU, so you're at Norman, at Fort Worth. Then you get Kansas at home for, yes, it's Kansas, but it's still a rivalry game. Then you got Tech, who is playing better, definitely running the ball better. Now they do have a quarterback situation, but you got to figure they're going to have that figured out by November. Uh, and then Iowa State, who's been better last year and should be pretty good again this year. So, uh, you know, they give you guys, and, and this is off S&P, win probability. You guys are only favored to win two of those five. Uh, and, again, numbers I know, but that's all we have right now in July. Uh, Tech, in Texas Tech being a 51% chance S&P gives you. Now the Kansas game, they give you a 77% chance of winning. But you got 12% Oklahoma, 24% TCU, 77 Kansas, 51 Tech, and 38% against Iowa State. So. Three of those games on the road out of the five, including a rivalry game and Texas Tech, who's not too, too bad lately. Uh, to me, that stretch right there, especially going into the end of the season, could make or break this team's year by the end of it. Oh, I mean, yeah, absolutely. And it's, it's fascinating. You know, fans always get a little upset when you hear uh, their team have a, have a poor record pick, but you rattle off the odds of victory, that kind of stuff, and you come to realize that, yeah, K-State's going to play more games this year, uh, you know, where they're not favored to win. And then, then they are. That doesn't mean they're going to go sub 500 or that kind of thing. But there's certainly, um, you know, they only have two games and two non-conference games that look pretty, pretty gosh darn easy on paper. And then of course Kansas and and then the rest. Uh, every game should be super challenging. Yeah, and and I like S and P. Um, also, the other one is uh, that ESPN does. I'm forgetting the name of it. Um, FBI. Oh, FBI, yes, FBI. I like it too, but yeah. I, I really like S and P for a lot of reasons. But uh, just based on S and P, and again, I know it's it's just numbers, and there's nothing else we have to go on. But just them alone, <laughs> you guys are underdogs in eight of those twelve that are listed. So right, and and like I said, there's one even, and you could almost say nine because Tech is fifty one percent chance of you guys winning that one. So. You know, and again, right. it doesn't mean anything. You could beat those numbers and beat those odds, but that's just the way it stands right now in July. So, uh, Derek, were you going to say something? Oh, I got nothing. Okay, I'm sorry. (laughs) I'm sorry. I thought I heard you say something. I apologize. My fault. Uh, Okay, so real quickly here, I know I hate to do this to you, but uh, we'll do this and then let you get out of here. I have Uh, a parting question also after you. Okay, uh, starting with you, uh, Matt. Just your thoughts on the season. How do you think it's going to wrap up? Uh, do you have a get? I mean, throw darts at the wall. I don't care. Anything at all, what you may have as far as how they're going to finish this year, or what the expect, and maybe if you have, want to throw that in, what the expectations of this team in reality should be. Yeah, and I think you're going to get, you have gotten a lot of the show, similar answers for me and Derek, and that's not great for, for the pod. We can probably oh, get similar. <laughs> the expectations, you know, should, should be, if you're a K-State fan, really in the seven to nine win range. I think nine's, it's certainly the high end of that. Seven's probably more realistic. Um, I, I have K-State winning eight games. Um, I think the four losses I, I see for them are, are Mississippi State at home, at West Virginia, at Oklahoma, and at TCU. Um, and I think the swing game for me really is that Texas game. You mentioned how close you know it can be from a, an odds perspective because I think Texas will be really good. Hard to call Texas a, a surprise, but you know from what people have seen from the last few years, they might be a bit of a surprise. Um, so I, I think that's the swing game to me. I think if they could lose that one at home and, and go as poor as seven and five, and then you can start about Iowa State and other games too. But um, eight and four is about where I see it. But I think anything from from six wins all the way up to nine is probably possible. Okay, that's fair. That's fair, uh, Derek. Yeah, something real similar to me. I think my four losses. Eight and four, and the four losses being Oklahoma, 
Texas, West Virginia, and uh, I think that uh, I know that they're probably not favored in two of those three games, but at the end of the season, Iowa State, KU, and Tech, but those are three teams that they've had you know quite a bit of success against, and I think they'll, they'll beat up on that end of the schedule to get where they you know typically are in terms of a win-loss record as usual, but it, it literally could be I'd be surprised if this team didn't make a bowl game, but I would not be surprised to see him win a few of six games. Oh, we lost Derek there. I don't know where he went. He cut out. <laughs> Derek, I think he got mad. Yeah. Okay. There you go. Sorry, Derek. We lost. Well, you had a little bit of trouble with your cell service periodically throughout the show, so I didn't know if you do- dropped on us or not. Oh, my bad on that. No, no, no. It's not your fault. We got most of what you guys said. It's no big deal at all. Um, you know, the fans, they got most of it. We, me oh, and Colin, yeah. yeah. Just occasionally you, you drop out at the end of a thought or beginning of a thought, so no big deal. Um, anyway, so you guys figure about eight wins, seven wins, somewhere in that ballpark collectively? Yeah, I think that's where we're both, we're both comfortable with. Okay, yeah, good. Um, that's kind of, I mean, I think that's what a lot of people would say. And I, real quickly, one last thing, and you know, before I turn you over to Colin, the last question I forgot to ask too. Uh, you know, and if you guys both want to answer this, fine. If not, fine. Um, it seems like a lot of years, K-State is the most missed. I would say missed more than just about any other team in the league. Wouldn't you say, Colin, in terms of – or at least all over the place. We get a lot <laughs> of mixed answers on what people think they're going to be and what they aren't going to be. Do you have any kind of inkling on what that might be? Well, let me step in here one second. With Kansas State, from from my perspective, uh-huh. it seems like when they're expected to be good, they kind of underperform. But when they're not really expected to do anything, then they're just out of the blue, really good up in the top two or three. Uh-huh. And I'm sure their take's probably going to be about the same. What do you guys think? It just seems like they. I, I say it seems like they're missed a lot by the media more than anybody else, and it also seems like. You know, they're they surprise us a lot more in terms too. I guess you know, I don't know your thoughts there. I mean, I think a big part of it is they're just they're a really odd team to try to to try to project based off off numbers. Um, if you haven't watched them and you just pull up stats and you look at total offense, total defense, and, and some of the metrics, you know, that to be quite honest, are a little bit antiquated. You know, points per game and that kind of stuff, and you don't you don't start looking at yards per play and, and points per possession. You just look at Kansas State and you're not impressed. I mean, so that makes it um, easy to undervalue them a little bit. Mm-hmm. And then, and then on, on the flip side, the opposite can happen too because um, how do I say this? I mean, there's a. I, I think we, we were fortunate to talk to Joel Klatt down there. And Kansas State has a lot of role players where it's easy to get a little overexcited about a guy like maybe Jesse Ertz or a, a DJ Reed or that kind of stuff. When in reality, they may not be significantly different. And then the guy backing them up from a from a physical talent standpoint. So when, when guys are so close um, on a roster from a talent level, it, it would make some sense that uh, they they surprise you when you don't expect it because you, you know you don't recognize a lot of names, so you think they're not going to be as good. Um, and then the flip side, we perhaps will get a little overrated and overexcited about you know some players that have back. You know, last year, you know we I think we all thought K State was in the nine ten win range and season top 20 team and, and the reality is that's not who they were um so yeah there, there, there's a lot of easy ways to miss on them if you're looking at them from a kind of a casual perspective okay yeah i mean that definitely makes sense I, I think that is a lot of it you don't you don't look at them and say 
Well, they've recruited these seven five stars over the last three years, so they right. can't. Yeah, I definitely think that's probably a lot of it. Um, Colin, I got one more question. I just thought of is that that's you fine. Done? You okay. can take it. Yeah, they took over. I, I forgot. I'm sorry. You guys are probably about question to death, and I apologize. But it's kind of cool. We don't we don't get to talk Kansas State very much, at least not in this much detail. So it's been kind of fun for us. Um, I, I don't want to get to when's Bill Snyder leaving because I think that's a crappy question at this point, and God, nobody knows. We're getting we're getting into paternal territory if we haven't already been there for 10 years. So I don't want to say that. But both of you, obviously, I want to answer, answer this question. I guess starting with you, Matt, that's fine. Um, who – okay, there's been a lot of – let me first – let me preempt it with this. There's been a lot, and I don't know how you guys hear it or what you guys hear – there's been a lot of things bouncing around, and some of it's in Big 12 chat rooms, some of it's out in the open and public, uh, that there's somewhat of an internal war with Snyder and the administration and how he's going to leave and who's going to take that over and whether or not it's his son and on and on and on and on. In your opinion, because uh, what what we're hearing, and you know, and it's not necessarily a secret, but what we're hearing is that Snyder would like his son to take over or, or at least have his say in who does take this program over. When it finally does come time for him to leave, who is it, in your opinion, does the administration win that fight? If there is a fight, if there's not, you know, how do you think this plays out? Do they go outside the system? I think they would be foolish not to at least pick up the phone and call. Uh, oh, God, I would draw a blank on this question. Venables. Uh, the Venables, Brent Venables. I think they'd be foolish right. at least not to pick up the phone and call him, although he just signed a contract for $2 million a year as a defensive coordinator, so he'd be foolish maybe to leave that. But I think they'd be foolish not to call some of those disciples – Hell, even Bob Stoops. I know he says he's done. Why not? Who knows? You never. You may get lucky if you catch him on the right day. Guys like that. You know. Obviously, I think they'd be foolish not to do that. So, you know, who, do they go outside of that realm? Do they stay inside of that realm? And what does the fan base really want? Is there a fight? A mix? Do they have a preference in this situation? I think. Um, I think everything you said is pretty accurate. I, I think Bill Snyder would will openly say that he would like Sean to, to get the jobs. And he has said it, I know, in conversations with, with ESPN supporters. Um, it's, it's hard to say. Uh, it's hard to say is, is Bill wants it for him. I think Derek and I both actually think pretty highly of Sean Snyder. Um, and he may be a little bit underrated as a coach and as a candidate, but underrated doesn't mean he deserves it necessarily. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I think most of the K-State fan base – would say they would like to see K-State go outside, whether it's one of the names you mentioned or somebody else. And I, I do think that'll ultimately win out one way, you know, one way or another. Uh, I think there's a pretty good relationship between Bill Snyder and Gene Taylor, the AD. And I think there's, a, there's more respect, but I, I, I'd, you know, I'd be surprised if Sean becomes the head coach. I think if it were to happen, it would have to be a scenario, come in a scenario where, where a health reason forced Bill to step down so so suddenly that there was no other real choice. Um, but I, I think most fans would like to see him go outside, and I think that's probably what will ultimately happen. Okay. Uh, real quick, Derek, your thoughts? I think Bill Snyder would definitely prefer to be his son, Sean Snyder. But I do think that there is some relenting on his part at some point where – I think that he might approve someone else as long as, you know, maybe he was, you know, involved in some of the dialogue when the head coach search happened. Um, so I, I think he wants it to be Sean, but if not, I think that he's going to put on who it is, if it is Sean. Um, but um, I think the fan base wants it to be outside. I think that it could come from the outside, but I, 
I, uh, I I actually expect it to be come from the outside and, and an external hire, but Bill Snyder definitely would, would like it to be an internal hire. Okay, I I, I think that's fair. Uh, I mean, I was curious about the fan base too, and it sounds like you guys agree that they would like to go outside. I know. I am clearly not a Kansas State fan. Our listeners know I grew up an Oklahoma fan, living in Oklahoma. Uh, you know, Lincoln Riley was so new and fresh in the Oklahoma situation that I was okay with that. Had it not been that, I'd, I would have probably wanted them to say, hey, it's kind of time for a change in pace and go somewhere else. So I could see that as a Kansas State fan, relate to that, wanting them to go. You know, Bill Snyder's been great. You don't want to take anything away from what the man did and all that, but I could see some, you know, hey, let's let's start fresh. And, and, and even though Venables is part of his tree, it, it seems far and distant from him, and it seems like it would be more modern and fresh in the way you would do things. And obviously you would assume the recruiting is going to get a lot better and things like that. So I could definitely see them wanting to do that. So uh, I, I, would, I don't know the fan base there. Uh, you guys, you know, obviously aren't that far away from us in Kansas, but the little bit we do get to interact, and I will say thank you guys for retweeting the show because we've started to pick up some K-State followers, and we haven't had that many traditionally. So uh, we appreciate you guys kind of letting us dip into that water a little bit because we want, again, this is just a, a bus stop for all Big 12 fans to get on and find out what's going on in the league, and that's all we're about. We don't profess to be – uh, media people were not journalists or anything like that. We're just guys that love the league and the old league, the new league, everything it's become, uh, and want the fans to do that. So, yeah, we're not necessarily the most in touch with Kansas State fans, but I do kind of feel like I could relate to, hey, let's uh, let's go outside the box here and, and look for some kind of new regime. So I uh, definitely would like to see that for them. And I would like to see, you know, I think – I think there's a little bit of a fear, and you guys can answer this if you if you care to. If not, fine. I think there could be a little bit of a fear of what does Kansas State look like after Bill Snyder. Um, you know, we know what it was before Bill, uh, and that was very, very, very bad. Uh, you know, maybe the worst program in D1 at the time before he took it over. Well, and we saw it with Ron Prince also. In yeah, the when Ron Prince took over, it was pretty dang ugly too. Uh, for a few years, and he actually had some pretty good talent, at least at quarterback. So um, I do think there is a fear of what does this program look like after Bill Snyder, and I could understand them maybe being scared to go away from that. But at the same time, I think it's it, it, when it, when he decides to step out on his terms because he's earned it. I think it is time to kind of step outside the box and look elsewhere. If you, I don't know if you guys agree or not. Yeah, there, there of course is a fear, um, but but I think it gets smaller by the day or by the. We talk about Ron Prince. We kind of joke about it too, and how how bad it was. In reality, when you really look at it, he, he was two games under five hundred in three years. Uh-huh. And I, there's you know a few bigger Ron Prince detractors than me. I'm not defending the guy, but um, I, I think when people look at that and that scares them and thinks, hey, it's kind of universally accepted that he wasn't a very good coach, uh-huh. and K State was still a five hundred team, you know, in those three years with him. So yeah. I, I think people get and, and, and it absolutely could fall apart again. Like you talked about back in 1989, as the worst program. And there'd be a lot of work that needs to be done, but I think people get a little bit less scared of that, and and willing to understand, um, you know, hey, it could go bad. This this program could go back to winning four games a year, five games a year, but they also would be interested um, in, in trying to raise the ceiling a little bit. And and you mentioned Brent Venables, and and you know that's a that's a whole another topic. But there's no name that would excite the fan base more than more than his. Mm-hmm. And I think people are willing to take a risk. Um, any any hires a risk, but a risk. And seeing if K State, you know, can be successful without Bill Snyder. Yeah, definitely. And you know, I, 
I understand that fear, but and I'm I'm just me personally. I've never been a fan of. Well, we shouldn't do this because of fear of what could happen. You know, they could go four years losing, but then who knows what happens beyond that with the next coach? I mean, I just I know uh, that's easier to say as somebody who's a fan of a blue blood, but I think there has to be that continued. You know, we will. The program is bigger, and I think Bill Snyder would be the first to tell you that the program is bigger than he is. Uh, and you have to eventually establish that. And I think he's established, in my opinion, enough of a concrete foundation uh, that even with him gone years later, they should still be able to maintain at least a certain level, uh, you know, of success, whether that's seven and five every year on average or whatever. And, and to right. my opinion, that if you get the right coach in there, then he can take that off and get you guys to 10 and 2, 11 and 1, you know, 12 and 0 type team. So. You know, we'll see. I don't know. That, that's just it's fascinating to me because my entire life, pretty much, I've never known that program without Snyder. Um, you know, I was born in 85, so he's pretty much been there since I can remember. Uh, so, yeah, that's it's, it's definitely fascinating for me. Uh, thank you guys for joining us. I apologize we kept you on here way, way longer than we told you, and I'm so sorry for that. Uh, we just don't get to talk Kansas State very often, so it was great for us to do that. Thank you guys for coming on with us. Yep, thank you. Hey, thanks for the time. We appreciate it very much. Yeah, definitely. Uh, real quickly, you guys want to tell everybody, uh, take your turns, tell everybody where they can find you uh, and look for your articles and whatnot, or if they want to sign up, how they sign up, if you guys got any promotions, anything like that going on? Yeah, I think um, it, it's www.kstateonline.com. It's the K-State rival site. Um, I don't have anything concrete. Promotions run in August, you know, for the start of the season. Um, but uh, yeah, you know, I think, uh, the nice thing about it too, is Derek just did a nice job cover, covering recruiting that a person doesn't have to wait till the season to have stuff to read there. So, Definitely. um, that would be, that'd be us. We appreciate the time. Derek, you got anything to add to that or where they can find you? The fine folks can follow you. Uh, yeah, you can follow me on Twitter. It's the young rival, but everything that Matt said, jump to qstateonline.com and, you know, be on your appetite. All right, guys. Well, thanks again for joining us. We appreciate it. Uh, I know we kind of had some bumps in the road getting you guys on due to our crappy equipment over here, but uh, thank you for being patient. You guys don't know how much that means to us. You've been super nice to us. You don't have to be. uh, We could just be a fly you guys step on and overlook. So thank you for doing that. We very much appreciate it, and we'll talk to you real soon. Hey, thank you. You guys have a good good day. You too, man. Thanks, guys. See you all soon. Thank you. Bye. All right, so uh, thanks again to those guys. I apologize for some of the cell service. Apparently, they had a little bit of issues there. Uh, I think, though, we got the gist of what they wanted to say for the most part. Yeah, uh, I, I, I know that was, there's nothing we can do about cell towers. Sorry, guys. Uh, for the first Kansas State, uh, I know some of you Kansas State fans are listening to the first for the first time. Excuse me, I can't talk all of a sudden. Um, I promise that, you know, that's not all the time. And, again, it wasn't a major deal. We got, you know, 95% of what we wanted to get out of them. Uh, before they got cut off so um you know listen to other shows in the future and hopefully it won't be quite like that uh you're you know any thoughts you have on uh, what they said anything interesting surprised you jumped out at you changed your mind on anything i was interested in them really kind of leaning towards alex delton as a quarterback i kind of thought maybe skylar thompson might be the guy i just don't know with the way that kansas state runs their offense kind of going back to the injury concerns with him a guy that size with the way that they run the quarterback power, I don't see him holding up a full season. It just it, That kind of surprised me. I would expect maybe more of an outside run game with him, and I don't think that's what they're going to do. Also, I will say that my final question for them was going to be if one of those 
uh, one of the two were the one that actually voted for Kansas State for first place on the media oh. poll. But when they both said eight and four, I realized it was probably not them. So okay. I kind of dropped off that. I'm sorry. I didn't even think about that. No, that's okay. That's good. I would like to know who the other person was. Yeah. yeah we, we know who the one was. We announced that. Well, that, that. was Texas. Yeah. So they, Kansas so, State had one vote, too. Yeah. So we, we oh, it was Texas. that he Texas voted. had two, I thought. No, that guy that we talked about voted for Kansas State as number one. Oh, okay. Yeah. The uh, guy that does the Spanish uh, account for Texas. Yeah, he gave the first place vote to Kansas State. Okay, so Kansas State so, had two. Yeah, they had two. I just don't oh, know who the other okay, person is. Okay. We haven't figured that out yet. Also, um, um, I, I thought it was interesting that they pegged them kind of seven, seven, eight wins. I think with the way that the Big 12 is shaping up, it's so wide open from two to seven. And I, like I've said, yeah, we've talked about other shows. It's yeah. going to be there's going to be a big group of teams at round eight and four. Well, and here's the thing too, though that, and I don't want to take anything away from them because I know they truly mean it. But isn't that Kansas State answer every year? Seven wins, eight wins. I mean, other than the one year, what was it, three years ago where they were really bad or looked like they could be really bad? I can't remember what oh, year it was now. Oh, they had Colin Klein. It was uh, really high. Yeah, I think it was like 14, 15-ish, somewhere in that ballpark that we said that, that uh, we didn't have a show then, but we knew that they would probably be pretty bad. I can't remember what year it is now. Forgive me, K-State fans. but And I think they ended up having like five wins or six wins, and that was the end of it. But, um, you know, other than that, pretty much every year the, we look at this team and say, meh. Seven wins is about right. I mean, and, and and I guess to some degree that speaks to what he has done there, uh, that they can't be consistent because believe me when I tell you there's teams like Tech and them that wish they had that security blanket of knowing that they're going to win seven or eight games every year. It was but 15. Is that what it was? Yeah, they, they had the back six year? and seven. Okay, yeah, I knew. And, and, that's a, and that's not a bad year, but that's, you know, for them that's below expectations. I mean, they still made a bowl game, but you don't ever want to have a losing record. I know that. So, um Oh, wait, that's the year they played the bowl game and lost to, like, Kentucky or somebody, wasn't it? I can't remember who they played that year. But anyway, uh, so, yeah, that that's um, – Arkansas. Arkansas, okay. So, I think we kind of um, – I knew it was SEC. I think we kind of hit on everything we wanted to hit on. But um, real quickly, I was going to tell you about – you were talking about Skylar Thompson versus Alex Delton. A little bit here. Uh, ratio of rushes to pass attempts, 0.55 for Thompson, 1.1 for Delton. I don't think that's really anything surprising. But here's the difference, and 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 tell me if if this is enough to convince you of one over the other. Completion percentage: sixty-one point four for Thompson, fifty-seven point six for Delton. Now, here's what I will say: we have talked about this on shows traditionally in the past, uh, not this season, but this discussion in the past. That really, sixty-two percent or better is about where you need to be to be a good quarterback in the Big Twelve, right? Because we right. throw it enough, and there has to be enough of a completion percentage. Uh, as many plays as we have. Now, granted, they're a little bit different offense, so it doesn't quite affect them the same way as it would others. But 62 is kind of that magic number we've looked at over the years and seen if you're that or better as a quarterback in the Big 12, you're going to have a pretty solid year. So, you know, Tyler, Skyler, you could basically say Skyler's there. Alex, that's 57 doesn't sound bad, but that's a pretty good dip. Um, 143 yard, or 143.8 passer rating for Thompson, 127 for Delton. So not terrible, not bad. Uh, here, the rushing though, here's where the, you know, and I think it could be interesting for Skylar Thompson here, 5.9 yards per rush versus 5.5 for, for Delton Thompson actually averages more yards per rush. And that could be somewhat of it. And it could be somewhat of his arm threat too, a little bit more helping that. But I don't know. I just think when you add it all up on paper, I think Thompson could end up being the answer, but I don't know. I, again, I'm not, that that was kind of where I was leaning, but 
Also, another interesting thing that they brought up was the reintroduction of the tight end. I yes. mean, we were talking about mm-hmm. it last year. Mm-hmm. It always felt like they needed to put in that pot pass again because that thing mm-hmm. used to drive me crazy watching oh, yeah. you know, Oklahoma State play Kansas State. And anytime you, you see a line a tight end line up with his hand on the ground at Kansas State, you assume run block. I don't care who it is or what year it is or anything. So why not do that and get somebody that can get out there and you know do what they need to do, yep. surprise somebody. So definitely. Um, Okay, thank you, uh, Kansas State fans, for joining us. I appreciate that. I know that went kind of long. Uh, we, uh, for those who don't know, you know, a little bit of equipment issues. Uh, my computer took a crap on us, so uh, we are doing some things a little bit different equipment tonight. I apologize for any weird sounds or anything that might sound a little odd on the audio. Thank you for sticking with us. I will have that remedied by next show uh, this coming weekend. So thank you very much. Um, anything, any news or notes we need to get to uh, before we get out of here? No. Trying to think. The shirts will be done. I, I have the. I will have the uh, first one off the presses in my hands this week, and we should have them done. I think by the end of this week, if I'm the information I'm being told. So we'll get those out as soon as possible and get those out there to you guys who want to, who want them and start taking orders for them. Um, but, but, but oh, basketball podcast has been brought back up. We're working on it. Uh, I know some. We've had some questions in the past about it. We're trying to get a basketball arm going. I promise we're getting there on that. Uh, man, there was something I wanted to tell them, and I can't remember what it was, but I'll, it'll, it'll hit me later. So anyway, uh, anything else? Nothing else? Rate and review on iTunes. Yes. If you do it, whatever <laughs> or whatever uh, system you listen to us on, please, please, please rate us. It helps us. Uh, it helps, you know, again, helps our guy, the, our new partners at Armchair, you know, at least think people somewhat like us. So, yes, rate us if you get a chance on iTunes or whatever. Uh, I guess if that's it, any new listeners listening to us, thank you for the first time. We very much appreciate it. We hope you come back and join us for more shows in the future. Uh, We usually have a few more hosts in the chairs with us that weren't here tonight. So uh, we'll see you guys pretty soon. And if that's it, until next time, everybody say bye. See you guys.